from the remains of Carlaw Park. It's the Rugby League Cemetery. This is the Rugby League Cemetery. Very good to have you with us for the 12th episode on this wonderful journey uh, through the grave sites of Rugby League. And we're heading back to 1985 today to uh, a match which is very famous and a series that's very famous and, and becoming more so. It's very topical at the moment. Australia 26, New Zealand 20 in June 1985 in front of 22,000 people at Lang Park. Uh, a match that uh, now is very well remembered because of uh, the contribution of Olsen Filipana who uh, is the subject of a book that's out at the moment. There's been a lot of talk about him in the last few weeks. Uh, we thought we'd go and have a look at the game itself uh, and see what all the talk is about, I suppose. Uh, a game which, at the time, would have been regarded as uh, probably uh, Australia going in as very strong favourites. They'd won 14 in a row against New Zealand between 1971 and 1983. New Zealand then beat them in 1983 for the first time in all, that, in all those years. Uh, but even with that victory in the books, uh, Australia, you think, would have gone into this game as favourites. But, Gazzy, I mean, in a way, this is a bit of a quirk of rugby league at that time. Australia would have gone in as favourites, but there were a lot of very good New Zealand players in this game who, because of the circumstances of where they played uh, and because of all the focus in our minds on the Sydney competition of that era, we just don't know a lot about. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's um, one of the reasons I was looking forward to, to watching it, is to seeing some some elite players that we don't know a lot about. And and you're right, it is a bit of a quirk in the competition. Is it, It's very easy nowadays to be very Sydney-centric because the competition these days is the best competition in the world, uh, undisputedly. And if you sort of play anywhere else, it's it very much is secondary. I mean, especially in Australia and New Zealand, if you're playing in the New Zealand comp or playing in Brisbane, you're sort of not not a player that we need to know a lot about. But in those days, um, there's, you know, a, a Queensland competition that's very strong and there's a New Zealand competition that's strong. And, you know, uh, people could come from New Zealand to Australia and actually not play in Sydney. They could be playing in Brisbane. It's um, now that this comp is the central comp, we look at this competition's history as being the history. And that's, that's not right. quite correct. Um, you know, Wally Lewis at this time is, is, is not playing in the Sydney competition, for example, uh, and quite a number of the great Queensland players of that era aren't. And it's the same situation with the Kiwis. We saw Wally and co at origin time and we see the Kiwis at, at test time. So it, it is, we get to see a lot of very good players. And in a way, you look at the stars of Sydney and just assume they're better than everyone else. And uh, as you see in this game, it's not as clear cut as that every time, is it? No, that's absolutely right. And if you watch this game without that background knowledge, you would at one side were, were kind of these legendary historic um, stars of rugby league and the other side, not, not as well known. It, it's a very even game. Um, and as much as Australia start very hard, New Zealand, is, as we'll talk about later on, of course, they, they hit the front in the second half. They get out to a 20 to 14 lead and, you know, with 10 minutes to go or an even money chance of winning the game, even then at, at 20 all. Um, I think uh, th 
there are a few players in particular we want to talk about that we that kind of jumped out to us from the New Zealand side. But I might just run you through the teams. Um, for Australia, Gary Jaggett fullback, uh, John Rebo on debut uh, into the side as a late inclusion for Eric Growth, which is quite a move. Uh, Chris Close, Mel Meninga, John Ferguson, Wally Lewis, captain and 5'8", Mark Murray at halfback, Greg Dowling, Greg Canescu and Steve Roach in the front row, Noel Cleal, Peter Wynn and Wayne Pearce in the back row and Peter Tunks on the bench, coached by Terry Fernley and for New Zealand, Gary Kemble, Dean Bell, Gary Prome, James Lulawai, Dane O'Hara, the back five, Olsen Philpiner, Clayton Friend in the halves, Kevin Tamati, Howie Tamati and Owen Wright in the front row, Kurt Sorensen, Mark Graham, the captain, and Hugh McGain in the back row, Ricky Cowan and Mark Eller on the bench and coached by Graham Lowe. Um, Gazzy, there are a few players in the New Zealand side, I think, that, that you were keen to talk about, and I know I was as well. Um, the one that jumped out to me, uh, and, uh, and we'll get to it in the second half, but the one that really jumped out to me as a fantastic player uh, was Mark Graham. Yep, yeah, uh, he, he was... Uh really, really strong in this game. Um, I had to have a look, bit of a look into him. Uh, I've heard his name, mainly in connection with being the captain of this sort of series. But I, I had a bit of a look. So he played 146 games for the Bears and 28 tests. That's certainly no career to be sneezed at. But well, he was a very, very hard and skillful player, wasn't he? Um, oh, he was colossal. He, he was uh, against that, especially in the first half. You know, he ends up getting whacked around the head and that kind of diminishes his impact. But... Goodness gracious, in the first 20 minutes of this game, every time he gets the ball, something happens. He's carrying defenders with him. You know, these are guys like Wayne Pierce, Blocker Roach, Peter Wynn. Like they're very serious, kind of well-regarded footballers who he, he, he looks as good as, if not better than all of them. He, yeah, he, yeah, he really jumped out. It goes to the Sydney-centric stuff we were talking about. It, the name Blocker Roach and the name's Wayne Pierce and the name's uh, Crusher Cleal. Uh, we, these guys are absolute legends of, of the game and um, he doesn't just not look out of place. He's toe-to-toe with yeah. them, absolutely toe-to-toe to them. It's a situation where, um, you know, New Zealand was probably a little bit short of players in some of the other areas, but their forward pack was not one of them. If they, you know, with a couple of other things in their side, their pack laid the platform that could have won this game and won it comfortably in a way. I think they actually dominated the middle at various times of the game. They're extremely impressive and, and he definitely read, led the way with that. A couple of points on, on Mark Graham. Uh, second mm-hmm. rower in the North Sydney team of the century, which is a fairly good achievement um, for a club that was in the competition for all of the 20th century. Uh, and it's also, outstanding. Isn't yeah. it? Like for a good, a good club, yeah. Um, and the second thing, he was named in the team of the century for International Rugby League uh, really? in the second row with Norm Proven. Yep. So the as oh, wow. best, best international players, yeah, he was named in the back row in that side, uh, which gives you some idea of what people at the time who watched Test football in particular thought of him. Uh, yeah. So it was good to be able to watch him. It was, you know, sometimes, and the first time this happened on this pod was like, Guys like Bruce McGuire and Steve Edmet in 1989, where you go, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad to have watched them and to know about them now as a kind of yeah. someone with an interest in the game. Yeah, um, and Mark Graham, who you of course would have heard of, uh, it's good to have seen him in action. Uh, I think another one which you're going to talk about is Dean Bell. Yeah, so Dean Bell, uh, Dean Bell's one of these players that I had this really. I'll just own up to this quite a dismissive memory of because the only memory I have of him is playing for the Warriors in their first year. And he was at the end of his career and he wasn't much good. 
um, to, be, yeah. to be frank about it. Um, so I knew that he was highly regarded in England, but I've never seen him play. And uh, I'm pretty much an Australian snob. So I really, the fact that he was regarded in England, I've never much looked into what he did there or, or put a lot of weight onto it. I'll yeah. own up to that. Um, so I got a look at him in the first five minutes and went, Jesus Christ, he's fast. <laughs> he's yeah, lightning he, for starters. One wow, of those guys is so quick. It's like, who the hell is this? <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think, look, there's some stuff about his record we will talk about, but I think we should talk about his game first off because he, he just had a ball terror. Um, so he sets up a try through absolute sheer pace in the first half where he gets on the outside and just goes. So there's a bit of a counter-attack. Yeah. And he just absolutely flies down the wing. There's a, there's a pass inside that gets deflected and they end up scoring a bit messily, but it all comes off this big run he makes where he just is absolutely cold, stands them up. Um, he scores one in the second half where Oof. he gets, oh, he stops and props and looks like he's going to sort of pass, bangs through the line, and like he makes Gary Jack look like me. Like, he just yeah. makes, he leaves him dead. Leaves him dead. Absolutely. Like that, that, I, I can't overestimate. We haven't watched many people as fast as him yet. No, uh, we watched I, some classic I, games. I thought that oh. as well. Like, he, he gets, um, for, for people who haven't watched this, he, he gets the ball. And kind of just dummies inside and goes from 45 metres out. Uh, and see you later. But Gary Jack's got, has 20 metres to look at him and can't, can't get near him. He just, Doesn't get him. Him just disappears. Yeah. Um, could have caught, he could have lapped him. He could have turned back around and run around him. Got again. Yeah. You've, I had the exact same thought that it, we, we've now watched, you know, we've watched a lot of footy and, and, and watched a lot of players who were regarded as kind of historically good. Um, and having seen Dean Bell in this game, there's not many that I would have. There's not many I would have backed against him. There's a moment in the second half where uh, Mark Murray breaks for the line. Yeah. There's a loose yep. ball, and Mark Murray is away, like he's just going to score, and he's not lumbering forward. Like he's the halfback, and Bell comes out of nowhere and grasses him from a yard a yard out. He just has no right to get there, you know. But he makes up that much ground. Um, no, and, and again. It, the thing about that is, um, as you said, it's off a loose ball. So for those, again, who haven't seen it, it's sort of like one of those intercept loose ball situations where everyone's going the other way. So yeah. you just don't catch people. Like you, you get it in the midfield. If someone takes an intercept or scoops a loose ball where the attacking team drops it and the other guy gets it, you just don't catch that guy. Like they're clear, you're 10 metres back, no momentum. He turns and just eats up the ground on him. He just eats it up on him. He's so fast. I mean, he should have gone to the sin bin because he sits on him for about 15 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> he pulls him down a yard out with a beautiful grass and sits on him for about 10 minutes and these days he would have been gone but um wonderful pace um i might toss you a bit about his career if you, if you have yeah yeah me. of course so in australia 42 games for east from about 84 to 86 uh and then he comes back in 95 for the the warriors so we're talking 10 years after this game and he plays 19 yeah. games there but yeah, overseas captain, I believe. yeah yeah overseas seven challenge cups mm-hmm uh, one Lance Todd trophy and one Man of Steel. Not a bad little career over no, there. It's like, not bad at income. all. They won a lot of. Uh, they won a yep. hell of a lot of titles in that. He he yep. joined Wigan uh, in 1986-7, which is right when they started their run. And of course, we watched Wigan uh, a few weeks ago in that Challenge Cup against against Hull, and we we said at the time that you know that Challenge Cup win really kicked off this period of dominance where all of a sudden they won the league every year. They won the Challenge Cup mm. every year. Uh, and he he must have been a big part of that uh, out on the wing uh, for them through the late eighties and early nineties. Yeah, winning the winning the player of the competition from out in the centres of the wing is a yeah, yeah, absolutely not, not easy. How many sort of uh, 
you know, Delhi and medals and stuff like that get one out in the centres and, and the wing, the best yeah. player. And you've got to have a fairly good year to, to be winning it from those positions, I think. Yeah, it's um no, it's it's quite a career, and and you know that Wigan side, and we're we're going to watch this game later on. I mean that this this Wigan team, what you say is absolutely right. That you know we kind of turn our noses up at English form a little bit, and go yeah they were good, but you know the English competition. Mm. But, but that Wigan side ended up coming out and knocking off one of the great Brisbane sides of all time in nineteen ninety four. Like it, that team was so good and it was so strong that you are entitled to kind of give that a fair bit of like playing in that side and doing well in that side a fair bit of weight yeah definitely definitely mm. especially after seeing that because i'm prepared yeah. to give a fair bit of weight when he's burning around gary jack and wally lewis and wayne pierce and all these guys just just, just like, a little bit yeah. yeah yeah we can't be faking that one no what else you got um, okay so uh, i think uh, kevin Tarmody's one that we should have a little chat about he mm. was uh wasn't he tough oh yeah yeah income <laughs> He was hard man. I mean, we'll, we'll get to talking about the infamous moment later on, but Ed, let's talk about his football. He was running that into the teeth of the defence all day, carting it up, strong carry. They're playing, you know, if you had a look, um, and Blocker's on his test debut, and, and Blocker has, Blocker does nothing wrong. He has a good game. We know how good Blocker is. There's not 220 games and a Hall of Fame difference between Kevin Tarmody and, and Blocker. Like Blocker's a 200-gamer Hall of Fame level um front rower, the level of difference between him and Kevin Tarmody isn't... Like, Kevin Tarmody never played a game in the New South Wales Rugby yeah. League. Um, you know, uh, he played in the Super League for a few years, not as long as you think. Maybe yeah. sort of five or six seasons. But the, he is whacking guys in this game. He is carting it up into all-time players. That Australian pack's a good forward pack, and he's running right into some very top players, holding his own, and like Graham, just really noticeably good on the field for them yeah. in this game. Yeah, he, you're absolutely right, and, and they were, um, yeah, all of the all the New Zealand forwards were very, very tough. And what you said before is right that they they did win the middle, but uh, yeah, he was very impressive, Kevin Kevin Tarmody. And it is, and, and it is a little bit unfortunate, I think, that that his contribution to this game and this series is remembered as this fight that he has with Greg Dowling on the touchline, because you know, as as you say, his football on its own was enough that he should have been remembered as a part of this game. I wrote these notes about his contribution without getting to the fight at the end. Yeah. This was like, it was written from the 20th minute I was writing. We've got to talk about how well he goes. It's, yeah, yeah. He doesn't, doesn't require that moment. Um, there's two more. If you'll indulge me, I'd like I, to I will. About. Of course. Um, Clayton friend. Yes. Uh, the halfback. Yes. Uh, geez, he was a good player. Wasn't he? He's a really, wasn't he? He, he was another in the mold. He reminded me a lot of um, Gibbs from the Manly game we covered, the Manly Newtown game, a darting halfback, a Jeff Toovey-style darting running halfback. He was cutting us up. He was really, really good, wasn't he? Well, worryingly, I had the exact same thought. Um, mm. he, did, he was that exact type of that kind of nippy, dummy and go, kind of fast at the line kind of halfback. Yeah, he, he, was, he was good. Um, I did the same thing as you. I thought, oh, I better find out what, what his career. He did play 68 mm. games for North Sydney. Uh, during the 1980s, but um, yeah, he did look at it. He was also very, um, very sparky and tried things. There's moments in this game where he grubbers and like grubber and chase mm. from his own 20, chip and chase, <laughs> yeah. dummy half scoot down the short side to make 40 metres. He, yeah, he very entertaining, very entertaining player. Um, he also, the commentators, one, oh yeah, go on. Yeah, so, no, by all means. I, the commentators uh, really got me going because I, I, you and I like to have a giggle at modern 
Kiwi commentators and these ones are in the mould too. They've just got a oh, particularly yeah. odd, quirky style. So in the first half, he, he, he makes a few breaks and there's always, the Kiwi commentators have always got a bit of chip on their shoulders about Kiwi players. And in the first half, like not being known, I mean, and the, yeah. in the first half he's like, well, there's going to be a lot of people who know who Clayton Friend is after this game and a bit of that. <laughs> but in the second half, um, the same commentator starts going, oh, Clayton Friend, yeah, you know, he's had an all right game today, hasn't done much, been fairly quiet and such really shit back <laughs> Yeah, they all <laughs> really strange. He says yeah. that he's sort of, he, he says something like he's played within himself or something like that, which yeah. is about five minutes after he's grubbing and chased from his own quarter line. Uh, yeah, yeah I, did, I did think that was odd. Uh, How many he, times have you got to cut the Australian team up for you to be considered to have had a good game, by, a good game like, yeah. for a New Zealand club player that doesn't even play in Australia? Like, it's bizarre. That, <laughs> that, that is a question I had to ask myself. Um, like, yeah. yeah, he also... Very good. No, he was good. Uh, he went to the Bears the year after this game, so he played for North Sydney, 86. I'm 80, not surprised. 88, 89. Uh, but the sting in the tail of the Clayton Friend story is that in 1990, he moved to Ride Eastwood with Olsen Filipina and won the oh, Metropolitan yeah. Cup in 1990. The two of them played for, for Ride Eastwood. Can I suggest you wouldn't have been overly keen to come up against no. uh, Olsen Filipina or, for that matter, Clayton Friend in the Metropolitan Cup? Not five years after they sort of nearly beat Australia in a test series. No, <laughs> not overly. Uh, yeah, like, it's, um, that, that, that is really good. I presume he got moved on for Jason Martin, a bit of a like-for-like <laughs> like darting half. Oh, yeah, probably, yeah. Um, it, it's, um, yeah, it, it's, it, it's, I'm not surprised he got picked up because, you know, you and I always like to fancy ourselves as scouts. And if we were, we were in an era where there were a lot of good players playing in other competitions mm. and you and I were watching this test, we'd have been pretty quickly go and get him over. I reckon. Yeah, that's yeah, right. You're in, and you're in a, you'd be going, oh, yeah, we're playing some stodgy halfback you've got, then you're missing a half. You go, no, nah, I'd look at this guy. I'd look at this yeah. guy for sure. And that's the thing. I mean, you, this was a time um, where you could where you could scout, you could pick up someone from uh, another league around in the New Zealand league who, 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 you know, who were competent at test level. You know, um, there must have been, there must have been a, a lot of, I suspect, there would have been a lot of attempts to do this that went very, very well, like getting someone mm. like Clayton Friend over. And there would have been a lot of attempts to do this that went really badly. <laughs> People who were spotted yeah. on spec from the New Zealand comp but came over and didn't do anything. Um, well, the Newcastle Knights based their, their first year on this. They, um, they, mm. they didn't have much of an opportunity to sign uh, elite players. The, the Knights spent $100,000 in their first season and 30,000 of it was on one player. So um, yeah. like that was such player salary. So they didn't have a lot of money to go around and they, oddly they had this um, thought they, they were aware that there was a few guys like locals, like Michael Hagen and Mark Sargent, these guys that were off a year later. There was a few more they didn't get, but they had this thought there was some good Newcastle players that were not going to be available for another year. And they wanted to look how you could put a competitive team together. And the first thing they did was go over there. They got Sam Stewart, as the first captain, but they got a lot of other guys. They got George Mann was a, a big Samoan and um, Goulding. They got Tony Kemp, who was one of the first players to play in skilled positions after Filipina. Not a lot of the, the uh, Maoris and Polynesians played in the halves and things to then, and he came over as a bit of a 5'8 and, and mm. that sort of thing. So they very much built their team on that and were able to, whilst we didn't obviously do great, they were able to build a competitive side that people got behind and had a, a really good feel to it. A lot like this Kiwi side in a way where they played hard and tough and that very much was the building block for the Knights being able to build a successful club, having a competitive, hard team from the start that people could cheer for. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It must have. It's it's an opportunity <coughs> which probably uh, which doesn't exist anymore. You don't have the you know 
when was the, you, you don't have guys kind of running around in the New Zealand comp as their professional rugby league no. uh, career. Uh, the modern equivalent is probably Canberra, you know, the last club to pilfer the Super League, where they've tried, they've made a grand final after really pilfering the yeah. Super League. Um, for, not for one player. We see one player sometimes, but they went over there and said, we're short and went and yeah. grabbed like let's grab five sort of thing that they've brought. But you're right, the professionalism back then, as we've talked about, Sydney was a good competition, but Brisbane was a good competition. New Zealand was a competitive competition. People didn't just move. There wasn't the money in the game. So no. you could be a good player and go, well, why do I want to go play for the Balmain Tigers in another country, you know, for bugger all money and to work as a garbo when I'm in Auckland around my family and I'm working as a garbo and playing yeah. footy. Like there's no, there's no, you know, reason that you're going to ship out of New Zealand necessarily. No, and that, that brings us uh, brings us very neatly to, I suspect, the, the, the other player mm. you wanted to talk about, which is, of course, yeah. uh, Olsen Filipina, who had come out to Balmain in 1980, played four, uh, five years for the Tigers, 80 to 84. But by the time of this game, uh, was playing for Eastern Suburbs in reserve grade uh, in New South Wales. Now, it would be remiss to talk about Olsen Filipina without mentioning that there is this... Uh, if you haven't read... Michael in the Guardian from about five years ago. You should do it. Uh, Google the forgotten story of Olsen Filipina. Uh, and he has since turned this, this short article into a book, which has just come out, The Big O, The Life of Times of Olsen Filipina, which uh, is, uh, I'm, I'm certainly going to try and get, but uh, it's only just come out. Uh, Gazzy, he's, he's fairly mighty in this game, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, and yeah, look, there's a lot going going into this. There's a lot of reasons he might have been playing reserve grade at this time that aren't all just due to his ability. And, and that's well mm. covered in the book. And there's a, he's done a lecture recently and we won't delve too deep into that. We're looking at the game, but it's certainly um, you should go out and look more about him. It's a fascinating story. Uh, one of the first really the trailblazing Polynesian is probably what we need to say to come over here and, and play at a time that they really weren't doing that. And then you look at the game today and nearly half the competition. Um, his Islander and Polynesian right. background. So it's um, quite stunning to think of a time. And before I talk about his game, that's one thing I had in my notes was, um, again, as a part of his legacy, it's noticeable how white the teams are. And even yeah. the Kiwi team is very yeah. white compared to, you just wouldn't see a Kiwi side with that many white players now. Um, and Australia's nearly entirely white. We've got Chicka Ferguson. Uh, quickly, good to have another Chicka game in there. Isn't it fast? Um, <laughs> yeah. Keeping the ratios up. Yep. But, um, yeah, there's, not, there's just not, um, not a lot of players from uh, different backgrounds of various no. Polynesian or otherwise playing in the game. And um, it's very noticeable. But, and it's, it's yeah, talked look, a little bit about, and the, in, that, in that article I mentioned, they talk a little bit about yeah. um, the fact that Australian coaches, they just, they just had no idea culturally how to... That, they just kind of berated these guys and kind of got in their faces and hassled them and said, you've got to work harder and all this. And it was just totally the wrong way to deal culturally with a lot of these players. And, um, and, and the big O, I, I think, seems to have been one of the first to, to suffer that. And, um, but he, he was obviously tremendous. Graham Lowe was able to get that, you know, was able to make it comfortable and get that out of him. There is a line in the, uh, in the, the piece which says he says as, as Filipina leaves the restaurant he says with a big smile I told them all back then you don't know who Polynesians are but you are now but you will soon yeah it's it's lovely that and it's yeah. you're exactly right and it's not um there's definitely some blame um in how they were handled by Australian coaches and there's also a product of its times in a lot of ways as well because cultural the, like cultural things aren't 
nobody's right and wrong when it comes to cultural differences. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the Japanese people, you, you bow, like there was the wrong thing done. It was insensitive, but like Japanese people, you bow and treat to certain ways. And it's very disrespectful to do the things that we don't understand. If you don't understand that culture, they're disrespectful. Um, the Polynesians do things differently to, to, to an Australian culture. Australian things do differently. And the probably where they fell over was making no effort to understand that. Yeah. The fact or that do anything about initially. Yeah. The fact that there's initially, they come over and you bark and yell isn't really the crime, is it? That that it, it, People have cultural clashes all the time, but there def- never seems to have been any effort to understand and change that and to go, well, why is he not responding to this or why is this not yeah. working and how do we get more out of our players? And it, it's funny because that's such coaching 101 now. Forget cultures and all the other. Like, how do I get more out of the guys I've got? And treating um, them as know, individual yeah. players. What, what, what is it? Yeah. What, what, and, Certain coaches are very good at this, right? Yeah. They know which buttons to push with different people. Some people need an arm thrown around them. Others need a rev mm. up, all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, Phil Gould was, like, was the master so, oh, of yeah. that. You go into Origin and you tell Joey he wasn't playing well enough to get picked and he was lucky to be there. And all of a sudden, he's stinking, kicking stuff on the ground, but then winning the series and getting man of yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he, he was very yeah. good at it. Um, and that totally wouldn't work on someone else. So some guys need pumping up and telling them that they sucked and were playing awful football was the last thing you would do. But yeah. you're right, it, it is. It's, I think you know the cultural differences were there and it's great that we've learned from them. But it, it, you do lament that people didn't look or earlier to think why isn't this working or how can i treat what could we we be doing Mm. yeah yeah the the culture was it expected you to change and fit in not what can we do to help you or fit you in um and of course on his game yeah yeah the famous headline of this game is that he's playing center in reserve grade for the beasts Mm. and comes into uh, this game to be playing five eight and marking wally lewis um Mm. yeah he he's 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 mightily good well, our only three stats, he's got one try, one try assist, one line break, uh, four from four, including an absolute banger that I'll talk about in a moment yeah. with the boot. And uh, he, and then if, we're, if you indulge me on some things that technically aren't statistics, several bullocking runs, absolute oh, yeah. bullocking runs, and a absolute monstering shot on Wayne Pierce. Oh, doesn't he just? Clobbers him oh. cold. Oh. Yeah. He, um, he's got that lovely thick, uh, lower half running style. You know those guys that are thick in the hips where they run yeah. and the people are just bumping off. Um, yeah. There's guys that are smooth movers and he has a nice little smooth move to him, but the, that thickness and like when you go to hit them and they just bump off. Um, I tried to think of some people and they're not perfect comparisons, but maybe Mal. Um, he had a similar game to, to yeah. Mal. Uh, Tana Umanga um, from the rugby. Yeah. Like that thick yeah. in the hip sort of those guys that I, I think Mal because Mal showed he had a bit of a kick and a pass as well in this game and ran wide and Olsen was that sort of player who was being moved to 5'8 he wasn't obviously a natural 5'8 I think you'd have wanted him in the centres if you had a 5'8 um, mm. and but he did didn't he like it was that bullocking running style was just that Mal Tanarumungary sort of like get out of my way and, and yeah Jonah Lomu's one but he just bit, like got they just bump yeah, out the, of guys the tackle bump, hit, bump the, and go. the contact guys like that the contact is just the starting point of negotiations, you know, yeah. like it's, it's not, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. tackle them is just the start of the process, not the end. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he, he does that quite a few times where he goes, you know, um, past the tackle. Yeah. He, he's, uh, he's tremendous. And, and it's past the tackle in the way where the guy falls backwards, like you run yeah. into them and the guy falls backwards onto his back. It's that sort of um, mm. not like he throws them off with a shrug and goes sideways. He runs at you and you end up on your back. Like on the ground, yeah. that sort of bumping off, yeah. Sure. And, and it's yeah, that's right. And he's um, 
he also keeps, and it's, you know, it's difficult to say how much of this is him, how much of this is the New Zealand performance, but, you know, Wally Lewis doesn't do a whole lot in this game. He's not really that much of a factor. You know, people talk about him as, you know, he's like he's an immortal. He's regarded as one of the best players of all time. He carved up New South Wales year after year in state of origin. In this game, he's not, you know, he just doesn't get many looks. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Um, he is. I mean, he clearly outplays him. Um, it's funny. It's funny. One of those things with Wally. Um, totally mean, agree with you. Yeah. You mean you I mean guess, also clearly outplays Wally? You mean? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 yeah clearly outplays him. Um, it's funny. One of those things with Wally. A lot of older people um, who aren't as mad as foam at the mouth Queensland types who try to be a bit more objective about Wally say that. Um, not as a criticism, but sort of as a comp- begrudging compliment and criticism is that he wasn't quite as dominant as some people actually say he was all the time, but that he had this really, you know, annoying way when you're a New South Wales fan that he would do a couple of things that just killed you. And yeah. um, Brad Fittler was a guy I always thought was like that. Brad Fittler had this way of being quiet for 65 minutes and going the two things that mattered. And yeah. um Given we got to Wally, I thought I might just mention it. There's this moment in the second half when New Zealand are all over them. They pin them in the 22. They're really hammering them. And he puts in this kick oh, yeah. for about 20 out that he nearly lands on the 10-metre line and sits him in the corner and just totally changes the momentum of the game. And you're right, having really done nothing and been kept very quiet with sort of not that long to go, he throws this absolutely beautiful like wide spiral pass that cuts about three out, hits... Pierce on the outside shoulder, who then hits Rebo to score the try that ultimately wins the game. It's one of those things, isn't it, that um, Olsen gets the points. Olsen's probably my man of the match. He was the New Zealand man of the match. He has all the statistics, but, you know, like Wally still had his impact on this game, despite being kept yeah, very quiet. He does that. To, to do these two things that really, because New Zealand were coming for them. They had them. They really ran over them. They're on top of them. And then your, your guy, you know, your main guy puts in a kick like that. that he goes did it twice. He, did, one, yeah, he absolutely wow. launches yeah. one down there. And then yep. the next set, they're, in, they're, they're down there again. Uh, and mm. he just like, absolutely slams this kick into the corner, which gets bundled into touch. And New Zealand end up with a that's right. Out, mm. And that's where a lot of the drama ends up happening. Yeah, um, yeah, it's um, he, yeah, he does it twice in a row, and then, as you say, throws him off to set up the try. So it is, you know, Philip kind of keeps him out of the game, but you can only keep him out of the game so much. Um, yeah, he still, he still, just, he still manages to have an influence on it. I enjoyed that watching that because I, I haven't got to see Wally play much yet, and that really aligned with what a few reasonable judges have told me, where they said he was a guy that he wasn't yet. Um, Andrew John's sort of like. Jonathan Thurston and Andrew Johns have games where they touch the ball 70 times and they're just unstoppable the whole game. That They said that a lot of people said he was much more of that guy who would really pick his moments and would sort of sit. And you'd be like, oh, he hasn't done much today. He's a bit quiet or they're keeping him. And then it would just be that one or two things. Like, that that yeah. try or that kick or that moment that changes it. You go, for God's sake, he wasn't even that good today, but they've won again. That's uh, yeah. sort of really frustrating. I always thought Fittler was like that when we yeah. were growing up watching the Knights and the Roosters and you'd be going, he'd just do that one step off his foot and try or set up with 10 minutes left and he'd just be fuming about it because he'd go, he's not even that good. He hasn't even had a good game. But they, when it was on, that they'd find those moments. It's funny you talk about, now that we've, we've gone on to Wally, apparently there was mm. a lot of trouble in this, this Australian team's camp. Terry mm. Fernley was the coach from New South Wales and he'd been the state of origin coach. And there was a bit of a New South Wales-Queensland thing going on uh, and Wally ended up uh, really kind of 
throwing the toys out of the cotton late in the series because Terry Fernley, 2 0 up in the series, ended up um, dropping four Queenslanders for the third game. <laughs> and the ARL brought in a rule after this. This is wonderful that, that uh, there would be no, that there would not be tests played until after the State of Origin series in future to avoid, right? So that's a special rule. There'll be no, they're not going to play tests during or before State of Origin. They're only going to play them after to avoid these kind of uh, sectarian troubles between the New South Wales and Queensland players. <laughs> I'm not sure if I suggest that probably didn't work. Um, no. But it's just a very rugby league fix. You can just, I can just yeah. see Ken Arthurson cooking that up. Oh, we've got yeah. to do something about this. This is terrible. And this is, that's what they came up with. Um, yeah. Yeah, there are four on Test Debut here. Uh, Rebo, Close, Roach and Peter Wynn. Of course, the other thing to mention about this Australian side is that um, as strong as it is, there's no Peter Sterling, there's no Brett Kenny, there's no Mick Cronin, there's no Ray Price. You know, there's all these guys who were... There's no Steve Mortimer. Like, there's two or three uh, halves who they could have had that they didn't... There's, there are no... I don't think there are any uh, Canterbury players. Canterbury, I think, win the comp this year. There are no Canterbury players in the... Um, in the Australian side, apart from Peter Tunks, who comes off the bench, uh, it's it, as strong as it is. There are still yeah. a lot of guys who aren't there. Um, well, a couple of things on, on that, just quickly, just historical revisionism. Uh, Rebo's in his ninth test. That's not his debut. Um, oh, my he, apologies. He test, so um, that's. But that aside, the interesting one with um, Mark Murray seems an odd choice at halfback, but Sturlo wasn't there but why wasn't say Mortimer or something you know yeah I don't know um, so this game Mark Murray must have had quite a good run of of footy those things do happen from time to time but yeah you sort of thought quite a lot of state of origin or played a fair bit of state of origin Mark Murray that Sterla this is this game of course is a month after the Challenge Cup final that we we watched a few Mm. weeks ago so it's understandable that Kenny and Sterling weren't picked because they hadn't been playing in Australia um until till like a week or two before this game um, but you're right. Yeah, I, I don't if, know what. If you'd watched the game we watched, I sort of would have picked them. Still, See, probably still. <laughs> you probably still have to think they would have got the job done in this game. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it is strange that. Uh, the other thing, there are some wonderful quirks of international rugby league, which come out in this game. And I, you know, I'm a bit. Growing up in the time we did, I don't have a lot of time for Test football. I think basically, like, it's never particularly interested me. Because Australia generally, and I know that, you know, 2008 World Cup aside, Australia, it's very rarely interesting, you know. Um, mm. This was about the time where that started to take hold, I think, in the early 80s was when Australia started to break away from the field. Uh, they'd won the World Cup in 75 and 77. But I just have to take a moment to talk about the 1988, uh, sorry, the 1985-88 World Cup. <laughs> Now, do you I, that that might sound odd, but uh, bear with me. The World Cup, they decided to play it across four years, <laughs> right? So they right, so they played, and what they did is they highlighted matches. So they continued to play the bilateral three match series, but they decided to nominate in advance one of those games, which would be considered part of the World Cup round robin. That's insane, right? So this match, right, is the first match of the series between Australia and New Zealand. It is also the third match of this series, which New Zealand ended up winning 18-0, is a World Cup game, as well as being a dead rubber in the series. That's just insane. It's How mental. did they come up with the third game being the one that counts? I don't know. They just decided in advance that was the game. So in 1985, New Zealand play Australia. 
New Zealand played Great Britain, New Zealand played France, right? So they're the three World Cup games mm. played in 85. In 86, uh, France versus Great Britain, Australia, New Zealand again. Papua New Guinea play their first game of the World Cup a year after it starts, 24-22 over New Zealand. That, there's a game to watch, by the way. Uh, yeah. PNG also play that year against Australia. Then Australia play Great Britain. It's the third test of the Kangaroo Tour. Then Australia plays France in 86. In 87, Australia don't play in the World Cup at all. And then in 88, they play against Great Britain. And then they play the then they play Papua New Guinea, and then they play the final. Why have we played New Zealand twice and Papua New Guinea once, for example? I don't know. I also don't know why Australia doesn't play. It goes a whole year of the World Cup. They, they don't play a game in the World Cup from December 1986 to July 1988. Yeah, good. What on earth? If you played in the first pool game, do you get like a, one of the World Cup rings or something? Or like I don't know. Money? Well, that's a really good question. You could Someone's... have retired for three seasons. By the, Rebo, time, you've won, by the time you've won mm. the World Cup. That's right. Yeah. Rebo could have played in the third game of the series if he did play in that game and retired and won the World Cup. Look at this. The, the, the Australian side that wins the World Cup, there's only Gary Jack, Wally Lewis, uh, Blocker and Wayne Pearce who played in, mm. the, in, the, in this game and played in the, the, the first World Cup game. It's insane. Yeah, what a that's, format. I, I wasn't aware of that, but that's one I'm of the really, strangest things I've ever heard. Yeah, they did. This, yeah. The 85 to 88 World Cup won by Australia. Congratulations to Australia for uh, triumphing through the four-year World Cup. That's um, a good tournament. That's a wonderful concept. I also was very keen on this referee from France. Mm, that Julien, was my point, yep. Julien Raspers. Um, he, he was appalling. This, this idea of neutral referees is very funny to me. Getting some guy from France to referee a game between Australian and New Zealand players. Um, mm. you know, noting, I mean, this happens now, right? They get these English referees to come out to do Australia versus New Zealand test matches. They referee a totally different game over there, often with totally different rules, totally different understanding of what all the rules mean. And it just causes chaos. And it causes chaos in this game because for the first 10 minutes, he just blows the pee out of the whistle. Yeah, he does. Um, he was very flamboyant. I enjoyed yes. that. Um, he was sort of like, I'm calling him the French Billy Bowden, like a regular <laughs> league. Like, I thought he was very Billy Bowden-esque with his really, yes. like, really flamboyant holding down penalties, like a swan, sort of like swan flapping, imitating the hold down and like these really flamboyant hand signals and pointing in different directions and knocking on and all this stuff. It was really, it's good to see. It's good to see. Uh, was. You'd like to see more Billy Bowdens in the refereeing ranks, wouldn't you? Absolutely. He was, he was very flamboyant. He makes some truly appalling calls during this game. Um, but yeah, I'd suggest it might've been a bit of a culture shock. Can I say coming for for, for yes. Julien Raskinier, uh, coming from you know France to to Brisbane in the nineteen eighties, uh, yeah, Paris I, to the Caxton. I think, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I just think we're talking about cultural differences. I think getting some French bike out to officiate in a game in in Queensland during the Joe Bielke Peterson era just seems a little bit <laughs> seems like a lot. Yeah. Want, there's a bit of whiplash to be had in that. Um, yeah, anyway, it's, International Rugby League remains very funny to me. And this is just, a, there are a number of examples in this game of just bizarre things that were cooked up um, during this period. Uh, and it's, you know, it's still, the, it's still the case today that very strange things happen in international football. Uh, we, we might get into the, the kind of incidents of the game. Uh, I, I don't think, and I think we, talk, we shouldn't dwell too much on tries because often, in this game, often they're the, the least interesting thing. 
it's a game full of incident, I think. And we, you know, the game sort of some of these incidents demand our attention more than the tries do, which we've talked through one of the better ones with Bell already. And um, the Australia scores some nice tries off backline movements, but they sort of are what they are. And we'll get to them if we get to them. But I think there's so many things that happen in this game that aren't the tries that need to be our focus here. Now it's important to note we watched this game on YouTube. We put the link up through the week. The commentary was Tony Palmer and Des White, New Zealand commentators. Now, that which is good and bad because it was very interesting to hear them and their kind of perspective on the New Zealand players. But also, it robbed us of watching the game with the Channel 9 commentary of Daryl Eastlake and Ian Maurice. Uh, but as they run out onto the field, the, the New Zealand commentator, Tony Palmer, says, the test is underway. It's what they're calling World War Three. <laughs> Who? Who's calling it World War Three? <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like the concept of um, Australia and New Zealand being on opposing sides of World War Three. Yeah, yeah, there is the some, there's the separate matter of yeah. the ANZUS Treaty, but it just yeah, it just, <laughs> just struck me as a wonderful comment. World War One, you know, Gallipoli, yeah. Western Front, the Somme, all of this. Yeah. World War Two, Pacific Theatre, Western Theatre. World War Three, Mark Murray versus Clayton uh, Clayton Friend. Yeah, yeah, well. The battle we all came to well, see. Wally, Wally Lewis versus Olsen Philippina. Yeah, exactly. Uh, i tell you another thing about this. Those stupid Queensland footballs with the horizontal stripes. I don't like them. I hate them. It's so off-putting. They make me sick when they float. When Wally Lewis throws those wide balls, mm. they make me sick the way they wobble through the air. Yeah, I don't like them much either. I, I, I was like looking at them going, when do they use those? I just don't even remember them. They're awful. Origin. You see old footage of Origin yeah. in the 80s. You see that only, I think, in Queensland, uh, matches played in Queensland. Yeah. Um, now, Australia score first through Choppy Close. Um, big charge from Wayne Pierce, tackled down low by Friend, and then Rebo kind of ducks down the short side and shovels it inside to Choppy to dive over. God, it was good to see. It was good to see Choppy. Sort of only yeah. at about 100 kilos at this point. Still had about 50 to go before he reached his, um, his eventual yeah. weight. Uh, it was very good to see him. He looks close to moving in field already, doesn't he, from centre? Yeah, like, there's a real fairly, sense Like he's that... at the end of his tether at centre. He's moving in. Yeah, th- yeah. There, is a, <laughs> there is a bit of a sense of that. That comes in the fifth minute. Australia start this game very brightly. And then in the 13th minute, uh, New Zealand finally get a penalty to get up their end. Uh, Philippina with a bomb. And it's, uh, it's McGahan, the lock. Uh, Hugh McGahan, who jumps above Gary Jack, comes down with the ball and scores. Uh, the commentator says he's recently been renamed Abdul Kareem for his aerial ability. <laughs> that time dates it a bit, doesn't it? It's very a good, bit, though. A little bit. I assume he's referring to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah, I presume so. Yeah. Um, um, well, I was about to say, I was about to um, compare him to Chris McQueen, good in the air, like back row is good in the air. So yeah, well, um, <laughs> that, that would have been also seen Abdul McQueen, so to speak. <laughs> It's possibly the first comparison of uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar <laughs> yeah. and Chris McQueen. Uh, yeah. Any other back rowers you think were good in the air? Ben Cray was good for a while. Yeah, Ben Cray used to get up there. You know who, mm. another one? I've got a Newcastle one in mind and I can't think who it is. Oh, leave that with me. Leave that with me. I'll get yeah, back well. to it. Was, did Kevin Proctor ever take, ever get up high? Or do uh, I just I'm think I'm not he did? sure. I hope, I hope not. Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not fond of the proctologist. Uh, not the time date. Billy Kickhouse caught it up. <laughs> 
belter last night doing yeah, that, yeah, like yeah. streaming 30 meters and leaping. I'll tell you what, leaping. he's not got a rep for being good in the air, but I think he will be good if they decide to kick to him. I think oh, it's only circumstance. No, yeah, there's, <laughs> nothing about, there's nothing about him that says he shouldn't be able to take the high no. ball. While um, we're on being good in the air, can I just make a note that I mm. found it absurd how many times the Kiwi commentators mentioned that Gary Jack and his predecessor played AFL yeah. or Australian rules as they call it. Why are they continually bringing this up? Like, cause nothing was happening AFL related. And it was weird enough that we got five mentions of Gary Jack having an Australian rules background. But what was really weird is they kept saying, and his predecessor, who I forget who that was, but they just repetitively mentioned that the fullback before Gary Jack also had an Australian rules. background. I don't know why they did that, um, but you're right. Odd. There were a couple of things. It's not, it's not colourful adding to the picture to say that someone who's not playing in this game but used to play for Australia has an Australian rules background. Like, it doesn't no, add anything overly. to the game. Not overly. I, look, it, they seem to have a couple of notes on this game, um, yeah. which they kind of repeated over and over. One of them was the four yeah. debutants. I, said, I wrongly said that it was Rebo, close mm. Roach and win. It was, in fact, close Roach, win and Cleal. Um, with yeah, the four, yeah. four Australian debutants. But, yeah, you're right. They do bring that up a lot. There's also this real gambit of um, of constantly bringing up Mark Elliott coming off the bench on the booth. Yeah. And they just keep saying, ah, they just yeah. keep saying, yeah, well, this, we, 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 this might be the time. Every time anything, anyone goes down or anything, there's any break in play, they just keep speculating about whether it might be time to bring on Mark Elliott. I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I meant to bring it up when Dean Bell was on because when he comes on the field, after Dean Bell tearing everyone apart, they start saying Elliot is now the fastest man on the field really quickly. He must have been quick. That's, I would have liked to see him in the clear if they reckon he was clearly faster than Bell. That stretches, they, they that that stretches credulity, yeah. I'm afraid. I, yeah, uh, yeah, I would be stunned. You're right, though. It, I, the notes for the game were very much like, um, Lenny White, Carl Black. Like, there's just sort of very basic <laughs> notes like, there. And they're yeah. just referring back to these very basic template notes whenever yeah. they have anything to say. There wonderful. really wasn't much yet. I quite enjoyed them <laughs> because they were very parochial. After the first 10 minutes, they dropped all pretense and just mm. started calling us New Zealand we and us and all this kind of stuff, yeah. which you don't see a lot of anymore. And I mean, who cares? Like, they're, they're broadcasting to a New Zealand audience, being shown in New Zealand. The, the, like so bad. I, I, I've always found that very funny. I, I, the Kiwi commentators, it bothers me in some of the Auckland games because they go a bit far with um. I don't mind the parochialness, but they start to really whip up quite terrible um, yeah, Auckland they, Warriors players. So they they'll start talking up kind of yeah. Charlie Gubb as a cult hero and this kind of thing. I was about to say that a couple of years ago, they started talking about Charlie Gubb as the New Zealand James Graham, which just really <laughs> bothered me to quite a yeah. degree. But uh, I've always, I have always like found it quite endearing. The Kiwi commentators, like they, there's this wonderful, I mentioned it before, they get this real chip off their players not being known. So they'll fight someone will do something good and they just drive the stake in about it. Oh, they're yeah. really like, they're really like, well, cop that. Like nobody's saying this guy isn't any good and they're going, have that. Look how good he is. We told you. Yeah. That's really how, that is. It, it still is. happens. Yeah. It's, it's, it's never it gone does, away yeah. that. And yeah, I wonder if it's a feature both of being underappreciated versus Australia, but also being underappreciated versus rugby union. They're very, always very eager to point out how mm. good their rugby league players are. Um, yeah. yeah. The, the, just after this, in the 13th minute, New Zealand score. And then in the 50s, uh, New Zealand turn it over, basically off the kickoff. And uh, Gary Jack scores a, a wonderful try. A um, little short ball from close. It is The pass does look forward, but it's a really nice bit of touch from, from choppy close out there. Uh, there's an audio breakdown. The, the commentary yeah. feed goes down. <laughs> yeah. And some bloke, some voice from on high comes in from presumably he was the studio host or something, comes over the top and says, I'm oh, sorry, the audio has gone down, but this, oh, here come New Zealand. Oh, Australia are about to score. And kind that of, was his moment. 
It was. And he did, the audio breakdown doesn't last long enough to, for him to conclude the try. Unfortunately, it's the funny that it happens at a try too. Like yeah. it happens of all times in a rugby league game where, yeah, there's probably only six moments in a game often or at most where this would matter really. But they have the audio breakdown when Australia is putting on this real play down the side trying to score in the corner, which they, mm. you know, it's very funny. Yeah, um, they, they get to 8 6 through that try. Jack, Gary Jack is electric in this. This try he doesn't do that much apart from that, but he's just, you can tell, much like in the in 89, you can tell how good he was. Um, but the, the I had him in my which, notes. Yeah. yeah, I had him in my notes as the Australian player that stood out as really electric. He made a lot of skiving runs in the first half. He was, yeah, you could tell why he was good. He was so fast and powerful. Yeah, I really liked him. And something else he did is after they score this try to go eight six in front, Meninga misses the goal. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But after this try, New Zealand kick off. Gary Jack receives the kick off, and what does he do, Gazzy? He just boots it back to the other team. Yeah, look, I'm glad you've brought this up because yes. this, I don't get why you are doing this. I understand why rugby union players do it. See, in yes. rugby union, you can lose the ball in the tackle. Yeah. Possession's very fragile, run. yeah. It is. Like, someone can get in there. Richie McCaw can get in there and nick the ball back. And, you know, yes. that's a problem. When you get the ball, Gary Jack, he's got the ball on the 20-meter line. to kick off. 10, 15, 15, 20 meters out. He kicked it straight back. They have, if you're going to kick it back to them, you have five tackles to advance the position that you kick it from. Yes. Why would you kick it straight away? And the reason I'm going really going off about this is because it was really common, but this leads to New Zealand getting the ball about 40 metres out because he kicks it. They catch it in about their own 40. Hmm. You know, that's a pretty standard kick. They go downfield, start putting the pressure on. They do eventually score. Like they, they start playing the game down that end. I'm not. I can't remember immediately how no, long. No, they don't. It takes about. It takes about seven or eight minutes. But they, yeah, but they right. go on that pressure. They sent. They get the ball down that end and start that that attacking wave and pinning Australia. All comes off the fact that they catch the ball on the forty meter line, start the set on halfway, and all that would have happened if he didn't kick it is you would have had five tackles. You go. You know what? We want to kick it and play down that end. Yeah, cool. Well, why don't we use the five tackles we've got to move it down that way further and kick it longer down the other end? I don't get it. Yeah, no, Tell I me, don't get Tell it me either. why they do this. I can't. What's the point? I can't. I wonder if it was a bit of a from the fact that in years prior to this, they hadn't been able to um, – you couldn't move the ball as far in five tackles. You couldn't advance the position as much as you can now, for example, or even then when you had faster players and all this. Um, but but it is it's baffling. I I don't understand it. And and you're right. There's no prospect of turning the ball over really. Like, there's no risk of unless you drop it. You can't have. They can't steal it off you. Um, get to your five tackles and kick it. There's a wonderful kick from. And we talked about Clayton Friend looking very good in this game. Mm. But he does something yeah. I have never yeah. seen before. Mm. From yeah. a couple of meters out from the try line, he bombs it dead on the full. Five meters dead on the full. Yeah, he doesn't go anywhere near the field to play. Yeah, nowhere like, near the third place. He's only a couple of metres out. He's, he's within the 10. And he just blasts def- it. Yeah. I'm going to defend him a little bit. I laughed very heavily and I'm only defending him sort of on, um, just to give, I'm explaining but not excusing. Yes. Um, if you like. So people, if anyone's forgotten, back then there was no 20 metre restart for catching a bomb on the full in the in goal. So actually kicking it into the in goal was feasibly not a bad idea. So, yeah. you know, He's got that wrong in a way, but you would like, you never see that happen today because they're not trying to land it in the in goal. They're trying to land it at the field of play. So you have to miss your target by 15 metres to put it five dead on the full. But if you've got the whole in goal to aim at, you're actually only missing by five metres. If you know, it's like that, when you grab a kick now and you grab a kick dead, 
you're aiming to land it in the in goal. So it's feasible it'll go too deep. He was landing in the in goal and he mishit it. Um, and you would never see it now because you would never try to land the ball in the in goal because you're giving away a 20 tap. Yeah, that's a reasonable um, defence. I, I, I accept But it's that. still mental. It's in mental because it, it, it misses funny. the field. Yeah, misses the field by five metres. And you're right. He literally is so close to the try line. He feasibly, there was defenders there, but feasibly he could have jumped into the in goal. That's how close he is if there was yeah. no one in front of him. Yeah, yeah. And he's managed to kick the ball past it. It, yeah. it, it hoofed it too, really high. I don't overemphasize. He kicks a really high bomb and <laughs> everyone's looking at it. And then the commentator that he's the wonderful parochial New Zealand commentators go great set by New Zealand um, unlucky with the bomb what was unlucky <laughs> about it like, it was shit like, yeah like he's missed the field by absolute miles and they go yeah, yeah. it's pretty unlucky <laughs> it's unlucky that he kicked it so badly yeah I'll tell you what was unlucky uh, mm. what was unlucky was Mark Graham being clobbered in the head by Noel Cleal um, yeah but uh, unlucky for d- d- is there any is, is, is there any defence here for, for Noel Clearly, he's kind of just he's just kind of swinging arms into the head, doesn't he? Mm, yeah, well, the, the defence is that um, Mark Graham was playing very well, and yeah. like, Crusher wanted to stop him playing well. Yeah, by, uh, look, I, I don't want to call it a swinging arm. I want to call it for what it is. Uh, it's king hit. Yeah. King hits him. Like fair yeah. income. Like he's there. Um, I'm not. I'm not having a go. Like that was in the game at the moment. Both teams do it during the game, and it happened in rugby league then. But like, let's not jump around two men hold him and you pretend you can call it a tackle or a swing arm all you like but two guys have got him in the tackle he comes over the top and make sure his arm intentionally yeah. hits him really hard in the head and if he did that outside the pub it would be a king hit um yeah. and he knocks him out cold i think what we need to talk about is i think we can just agree that it's you know despicable tackle that was common in that era so we're not hammering crusher yeah. any harder than we than we hammer anyone else that does it but what's more important is to talk about the aftermath um, and the fact that the play goes on for about five minutes with Mark Graham still on the ground, in, uh, 50 metres behind the play. And after all of that, he doesn't get up at all. It's one of those properly... Everyone will yeah. know one where you think of your player where they can't get up and when they do, they've got the wobbly boot, like the wobble yep. legs and can't really get up. He's like that for five minutes. The trainer comes on, he gets up and says he wants to play and the trainer just holds two fingers up in front of his head and goes, and mouths two. And then... Graham obviously correctly identifies the amount of fingers or otherwise guesses the fingers and is then allowed, based on him knowing how many fingers were held up, allowed to go back and continue that, in the game. That he is needs HR, to be hospitalized. That is head injury assessment nineteen eighty five style. And the great thing about that is that he then goes on to play he goes in for half time and comes back out after half time. Like he plays another twenty five minutes of this game with a quite severe blunt force trauma to the head. Yeah, well, when he finally does go off, he's got guys around him. He's got a towel over his He can't straighten his head up. He's bent over on the sideline looking like he's going to vomit and is escorted into the sheds. This is yeah. an hour after it happened. But when you count for half time and the time he plays on, you're 40 minutes to an hour after it happened. He's like being let off for medical attention, having let him play for that long. He also puts a kick in not long after this. When he gets it back, he puts yeah. up a bomb, which just delighted me. Yeah, I just don't it's a good bomb it. too. I'm, yeah, I'm glad he thought, yeah. Often he opened up a different part of his brain where he just rattled around enough for him to go, you know what, I, could, I haven't tried before. Up she goes. But it, it's, it, it is, it's, um, it's sickening. It, it's funny you mentioned the two, the two fingers thing reminds me of something. So uh, my mum used to be the physio for the Knights uh, in the mm. 80s and 90s. And she was telling me that the trainer um, at the Knights, again, had this gambit where he used to assess the players 
on like eye, eyeball it in by asking them questions. Yeah. So you get the Knights players coming off being knocked out motherless and they'd ask him like, she remembers him asking, I won't name the player, asking yeah. one of the players um, who the prime minister is. And mum's <laughs> sitting there going, there's no chance that bloke knew who the prime minister was before he got hit in the head. Like it's not an appropriate question. It's totally unfair. It's one of the, one of the back row. He's got Jesus. He didn't know that yesterday. You're going to you're gonna give him a fatless chance at getting it right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I think the how many fingers were holding up the, the tactic. Yeah. It's good that. Did we see the smelling salts? I would have liked to see some oh, smelling yeah. salts. I don't know. I live for smelling salts. Yeah. You and me both. Um, yeah, but you're right. It's a it is a big moment in the game. I mean, they end up losing by a try, and he was the best mm. player on the field until he gets like until he gets yep. put into a sort of coma. Um, so they lose knows? their way a bit in the back half of the game. They get on top and then lose their way. And you wonder if having the captain and a yeah. and a hard man and a, and and a leader, obviously, to have, you know, he's obviously a very good leader to be picked in team of the century and all this year. Imagine that might have calmed them down or given them. Just yeah. something at a moment that they needed it. Um, they do lose their way badly with the ball. And again, you just go, you know, maybe that guy not being sort of in another another universe at that point would might have helped. Might have been vaguely helpful. They, they start going try for try. The, the game is really... Filipana scores to make it 10-8 in the 23rd minute. And that's the counter-attack you were talking about. It's Gary Campbell, the fullback, who, of course, played yeah. for Hull in the Challenge Cup final barely a month before this game. Um he decides to counter-attack from about halfway, gives it to Bell, who just burns them down the sideline, chucks it inside, it's knocked down. Prome happens to be the first man there. To Filipino, who scores, he kicks the goal to go 12-8. Uh, and then Cleal scores a great try as well um, from beautiful movement of the ball. Uh, it's Rebo, who comes from the left wing and ends up being at first receiver on the right-hand side to fire a ball out to, uh, to Junior Pierce. He cuts back inside, gives it to Lewis. Lewis to Murray. Murray to Blocker, who runs straight and offloads to Cleal. A beautiful bit of football. It's wonderful rugby league. We've talked about it before. Not pigeonholing players. They're getting stuff out of guys like Rebo and Blocker and everything that we don't associate with wingers and front rowers. And um, there's tries later where Pierce throws cutout passes and different people are... There's a back... There's a, I think Blocker's try is an inside ball off a back rower. And we'll talk about yeah, when we get to it. Yeah, it's win. Yeah, this yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. There you go. So this is the best example of it here. But all of these moments are just where if these players have that ability... You bring it out on them. You don't pigeonhole someone and say, you're a second rower. You're an edge player. Stay out there and just run straight. Yeah. You do this. You're a winger. You do that. It's using guys and their ability um, to do things and bring it into the game. And they're all, they were all doing things that a lot of halves can't do now, honestly, with the cleverness Mm. of some of these plays. And it's a beautiful try that you'd be no hope whatsoever of seeing scored today. No chance. And and we've watched, we've seen a lot of tries like this since we've been doing, watching these games. It's just pass and move. Oh, where's the space? Pass and move, pass and move, keep the ball alive. We'll find some space somewhere. And and that's what ends up happening. Keep backing up, keep following the ball, doing all that stuff. Because it gives you the option to, if you've got guys who can pass, if you do all that stuff, it it opens up. And And the ball goes from... The ball goes from right over on the right-hand side of the field all the way to the left, and then they score next to the posts. Um, yeah, 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 yeah beautiful all the way footy. back to the middle. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they go it's in an interesting half. game at that point. Um, mm. It's an interesting game because I, the way I saw it, um, Australia were really expensive and attacking early, and New Zealand grafted and hung on. Like, they, 
playing all in the forwards, not spreading it, got down there, scored off a bomb, graft and graft. But all of a sudden, after that counter-attack try, they just, that relaxed them even more than the bomb try. It felt like once they got that counter-attack, they went, hang on, we can go with them here. And they started spreading the ball a bit. And Australia, Australia would, it was a bit end-to-end, wasn't it? Like Australia were getting down there and putting plays on and New Zealand were going, well, we reckon we got you here and taking them on as well. And it really went from this game where New Zealand were sort of playing within themselves to they sort of started to get a bit of belief and it was, you know, sort of blow for blow for a bit there. Yeah, that's right. And, and it's Australia look a lot, a lot sharper and faster out wide, but New Zealand, they, they won't let them away. Um, they keep yep. biting back, finding a way back. They then kick a penalty right on half time uh, to go in at 14 all. It's a hell of a kick from, from Philip. Worldy. It doesn't look that, like it's not that far out. It's only about, it might be 25 metres out. But it's a really good in that in that time with the sort of goal kicking that we were seeing from Mal Meninga, for example, mm. and the the kind of goal kicking that you see in this era, it's a perler. He really from it's from, line, from quite wide out, yeah. Mm. Um, he nails it, toe punt, like toe poking from the sideline, twenty five thirty out, and just poof, straight yeah. to die. That's you the thing, isn't it? Like it wouldn't be a remarkable kick now, but at the time in the toe mm. poke era, bang, over it goes. Yeah. Um, there's a minute. There's a little. You never take it. They take it because it's half time. And even today, uh, you wouldn't take that. That's the sort of goal. Even with today's kickers, they'd only take that if it was just at half time. You wouldn't like you know. Even with Adam Reynolds, like you wouldn't. The percentages ten aren't minutes good enough, left and a half. No, no, no. They're not. You would take the tap. It was a really wide kick, and it, they took it because it was just on half time. And I think it meant a lot to them because it means you go in with a drawn game. Yeah. And it, it, that, I think that means something because they've got some confidence. And to have their sort of star player, like the guy they, they sort of all rally around to bang this goal over from the sideline, um, you know, it's, Gus always talks about the momentum of goal kicks. Like to, to nail that at that time and go, right, we're going in even. Like, let's go. That's a, that's a big thing. Mm. Uh, there is another mo- moment in the first half that I know you want to talk about. Uh, we are still no closer to resolving the issue of scrum feeds in the 1980s. No, no. So there's a play. Uh, it's within the. Uh, I always get confused about what half you call it. It's in the Australian defensive half. They're coming out of their own end. Mm. Um, is that the New Zealand half or the Australian half? I'm always confused. No, that's that. the Australian half. Yeah, <laughs> the Australian half. So yeah, they're, they're coming out of you know the bad end, and uh, they spread it to Mal Meningo, who knocks it on in the tackle in the contact, and they get the scrum feed. Yeah. Why? No. And idea. I watched it after this. They don't get it later for stuff like that. No. I, I need to understand what this is happening for. Uh, we need to talk to your client. You know, you're a big wig around the government types. You need to get someone. We need to get on to someone who knows this. Well, there needs to be some kind of someone needs to commission a report. There needs to be some yeah. kind of people need to go. There needs to be a forensic audit of all scrum feeds awarded between 1979 and 1992, and work out mm. what you know, work out exactly what was going on. Um, because I, I've got no idea. This happened in the, in the game. There were scrum foods awarded for no clear reason, and, and this is another one. There's another one in the, the second half, which I will talk about at uh, excruciating length later on. Something for you all to look forward to. But, uh, yeah, that's you know, right. You've got well, – is, is Lazo still in federal parliament? Because you've got Labor contacts. You could get one of them to contact Lazo, and we could see if Lazo can work this Yeah, Lazo might know. I don't Lazo know. Lazo knows Rebo too. Rebo was in the yes. game. Rebo might be able to tell us. Rebo like, Lazo would know Rebo. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Um, now, they go in at 14 all at half time. <clears throat> and I was sitting, I was thinking to myself, this is this is a good game. It's entertaining, see some good players I've never seen before. Um it's you know, it's, it's right in. entertaining, it's going well, I'm happy that we picked this game. They come out for the second half, all normal. Uh New Zealand kick off. 
Mm. Noel Cleal catches the ball. I think, oh, yeah. <laughs> Showtime. And what does Noel Cleal do? Does he take a hit up? No. Does he pass to someone? No. He kicks it back to them. And Gary, Cam- and Gary Campbell picks it up. And what does Gary Campbell do? Does he take the ball up? Does he pass it? No, no. Kicks it back again. Gary Jack picks it up. Kicks it back again. Four kicks. Kicking jewel. Kicking jewel. Kicking jewel, baby. I knew we'd get one. I knew it had happened. Oh, I've been waiting for so long and I didn't know it was coming. I didn't know it was coming. And once he kicked it back and it got to Kemble and he got it and he shaped the kick, I went, we're on here. We're on here. We're going to kick it jewel. We're on. We're on. Oh, I love kicking jewels. I I know this goes against my message of of, like I was really off Gary Jack kicking it back in the first half. But once someone does it, you're obligated. The team that gets it is obligated to start a kicking jewel. I I was known for this. I was known for this in the school playground in the um, mid-2000s, high school in the mid-2000s at recess and lunch games of demanding kick jewels. And I often tried to start them with not, not very little success and tried to explain the concept because I try and start one and people are like, what do you mean? I go, nah, we're going to get a kick and jewel going here. When I kick it, you just kick it back. And they sort of blankly stare at me and yeah, I didn't have a lot of friends. But no, um, that can happen. basically, how good are they? How oh, good are they? They're fantastic. What's the point of them? No, there isn't one. It's, it's, it's insane. Can someone can explain only... to me why you're allowed to be essentially offside, but oh, then you're so back that, onside? That, so it, that rule, I understand vaguely, but it's odd, isn't it? As I understand it, the rule was, because it's insane, that rule. Mm. As I understand it, the rule was you were allowed to be offside, but stay outside the 10. So what yep. would happen, and you see this in the kicking duel, is, and you see it in the famous kicking duel from the mid-90s, which is the last recorded one in history, that... The, say Campbell, if it's if it's New Zealand who've just if it's Australia who've just kicked it, Campbell, the New Zealand fullback, will stand with his hands over the ball, not not touching it, because until a New Zealand player touches it, Australia's defenders can't get within the ten. So he's kind of faking to touch it and hoping they stray offside and all this kind of stuff, and then finally he picks it up and boots it back. It's demented, and it's 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 John Ferguson who finally uh, dogs the kicking duel by picking it up and running. Which is the worst moment? The only the only problem with the kicking duel is that it ends. Yeah. When some when some bozo decides to be a hero and run run the ball back. Yeah, hard to imagine why Chicker would back himself to run it. Um, no. Yeah, you'd like to think you like as Australia, you'd be winding the clock down and you know didn't de- like oh it's a torn a tried game. Sorry, I thought we were in front. If you're in front, you just endlessly go for the kicking goal to continue. But yeah. that's what I always say the only put like you don't lose a kicking. It's like this is like the share market. You don't lose till you sell in a kicking duel. You might be losing it, but you don't lose till you end the duel. It's, exactly. You only have a one sweet strike away yes. from winning the kicking duel. In, in exactly. my humble opinion, who won this um, kicking duel? Do you think? New Zealand. I wrote New Zealand pretty comfortably because okay. they. It's not so much they won the ground, but when Chicka runs it, they actually get him pretty. They they pin mm. him back, and I think that Chicka gets tackled at least as deep as where Australia mm. kicked That's from. Where Cleal originally um, kicked. Yeah, it's good to see Noel from. Cleal. But Neil, Noel Cleal too did hit yeah. it pretty well. Just was good to see yeah, him well, kicking. I think if you're going to have a kicking drill, that's who we would have nominated in that yeah. team to have taken it, not sort of Wally Lewis <laughs> no. or Mal Meninga or something. No, like, no. Yeah. Clearly. Well, yeah. Can, can I ask you? Um, kicking, the thing just, about Gazzy, Gazzy, hmm. starting a kicking drill is a lot like, you know, shooting a pig. <laughs> you know? And, and Crusher Cleal is an expert in both. Yeah, it is. 
It's all like a mule with a spinning wheel, isn't it? Exactly. Tim, Tim, he knows how he got it. <laughs> but, yeah, um, he knows how to use it. That's right. Yeah. I, look, on kicking jewels, just briefly, I was mm. going to talk to you. I, I, look, I'm, I'm vague on exactly what happened, but you and I both watched a Boots and All episode yes. recently where East score off the kickoff doing this. Um, they do. Can you watch yeah, that they, one as well? Yeah. yeah they so how, the how, how do they manage to do that? Because it was like disgust is like they were exploiting this real loophole in the kicking jewel rules oh, where sure. they were kicking off. And as soon as it's basically, they scored off one, they kicked the kickoff back and sort of, I think they had it hit someone. They scored straight away. So they had something like they kicked it so it would hit someone and that put their players on site. Or something Possibly. like that, so they yeah. were able to pick it up and score, or off the so goalpost or something. Yeah, there's something. Yeah, odd yeah, yeah. So I can't remember odd about it. Yeah, but they score immediately, straight away off off the kicking yeah. duel. That's not like enough. That. I, From you, 40 meters offside. That that's right. So they what they do is that's right. Sorry, I, I can't tell you the second part, but what they do is they their players stay on the 40 meter line and run to. So when the team kicks off, the East players run into the other half. Yeah. So, they start, so when so then the guy catches the ball off the kickoff and his teammates will all run as far as they can get in the other direction, <laughs> up the other end of the field and so like fifty five. Yeah, and like fifty meters offside, and then he boots it back down to the other team, and they're right there already. I love this yeah. stupid game. Like, we're, we're, yeah. particularly watching games in the eighties, there was a real sense of it was the it was the it was the frontier era. You know, there yeah. was no it was it was a time of expansion and and. Mm you know reinvent the game with things Fear like the, the walk the mouse trap uh the the wall the what was the other one the mouse hole that newtown mouse did hole, yeah. that or manly did in manly 81 did. Yeah. yeah kicking jewels all this kind of rubbish i wonderful and in this era of sterility that we have now i really i really kind of i mourn for the wonderful fertility of the, the 1980s a, a, a time for fertile rugby league minds um yeah. I, I i think Every time there's a rainy day game now, when there's one of those games where it's really teeming down, I just, there is still a part of me, just a flicker that thinks maybe today, maybe we'll get one. Maybe it's, maybe it's not over. Maybe we're, we will still see one more kicking duel in rugby league in the year 2020. Um, I remain hopeful. I haven't given up. Yeah, well, I'd love to see you. Love to see um, mainly, you know, sort of Cleal style have uh, Jake Trebojevic to hoof the kickoff back, wouldn't you? That would, or Curtis Sirin, that would be astonishing. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah. The buttocks, should... junior buttocks. That'd be right on. His dad would have educated him about kicking jewels, I reckon. <laughs> now, we've talked a bit about the Bell try, uh, which is a gorgeous try. He gets it forty-five out and just scoots through. Burns Gary Jack. Mm. We talked about that. That gave New Zealand a twenty to fourteen lead five minutes into the second half. Um, they're coming from here, aren't they? they? Yeah, really, it's on. They, it's, it's they on. get the steam before and after the try. The whole momentum of the game is where like just really wave and wave of New Zealand attack. There's a good 10, 15 minutes where it's they're right. Like they had a real chance there that if they just managed to find one or two more, they could have run away with the game. They really yeah. grabbed it. And they but just the, didn't do enough. Just but the rugby, league, the, the rugby league gods give with one hand and take with another, you see. Mm. This wonderful try scored by Dean Bell. Just after it, Mark Graham goes off, finally, um, unable to deal with his enormous brain trauma any further. Uh, <laughs> minutes after yeah. sustaining the injury, he finally succumbs and goes off. And there is one of the great comments uh, from Des White, uh, one of the New Zealand commentators, grasping desperately for hope in difficult times. He says, now this is about a man, by the way, this Mark Graham, this is about a man who was selected at second row in the international team of the century. 
right? He's regarded as one of yeah. the best in his position at of any country of all time. Uh, and Des says, well, he's rarely lasted a test, but when he's left also, we've often won. Yeah. Yeah, that was very strange. They turned on people a bit. That's what they turned on sort of Clayton Friend and they turned on, turn on him. Yeah. That was a very strange comment. I just, I failed to see how it was helpful to them that their captain and one of their best players had his brain shaken around his head I for think five minutes. Yeah, I just <laughs> think you'd have to believe that. Uh, I think you'd have to have a very great deal of faith in superstition to think that one of the best players in the history in his position and your best player going off would give you a better chance of beating. Uh, was there speculation of Elliot coming on, though? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. I'll tell you who did actually come on was Ricky Cowan in 15, who was wearing shin pads. Was he? Yes. I noticed I when he got tackled, that. the socks, you could see the shin pads under the socks, which really lit me up, Good. I must say. That, that's an, I suppose they must all have been wearing them, but it, it was yeah. wonderful to see a pair. Um, You'd want any protection you could get on any body part playing sort of blocker and crush a cleel and some I of this think stuff. That's right, anything yeah. you can pad, I'd be padding. I'd be wearing a cup. I'd be wearing sort of shoulder yeah. pads, as much knee as, pads, as everything. Much as you yeah. could, yeah. Uh, now, Mal Meninga uh, kicks a couple of. Uh, he has a couple of penalty attempts between the between the Australian uh, between the New Zealand try to go twenty to fourteen and the blocker Roach try to get back to twenty all. Uh, he has. Uh, he has a kick from basically in front, which he misses. Uh, and then by, actually, by quite a way, it's a terrible strike. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then he has another one. Uh, and he misses that as well. The, the New Zealand mm. commentator again, Des, I, I've become very fond of Des Hill as a result. I don't know anything about him, but I'm very fond of him because he really attacks Mal Meninga. This mm. is not a pressure yeah. kicker, is he? He's not a pressure kicker. He can't hack it against this, you know. I was fantastic. They're just riding New Zealand at this point. Yeah, they've given up on all. Yeah. yeah. Mal's missed the first one by a mile, but Mal also kicks a sideline conversion, or like a fairly wide conversion to tie the game. It's not a sideline, but they're fairly wide from um, the blocker tries three quarters to the sideline. So he's missed a goal in front, has one out wide, and Des has given him, like, I'll be just praying and hoping this goes over. And he nails it. He nails it. So he nails this kick to tie the game. And then he misses this next penalty, which is pretty adjacent to the uprights again. And he's just like, oh, he's not a pressure kicker, is he? He's showing he's not a pressure. It's very funny to hear, because Mal Meninga's now an immortal. Yeah, and like the most like one of the kangaroo. Yeah, one of those capped kangaroo. Won several grand finals. He's one of the like yeah. one of the great leaders of the game and great players of the game. And he's like just really copying it off this Kiwi <laughs> commentator yeah. for not being a pressure kicker. It's very very good. They were shocking good. misses. The they first were. one's hilarious. It's I right, rode right them. in front of the post. I right rode them the fairly. Post. Rode them fairly hard too. I haven't got a huge amount of time for Melbourne Ingram. I really enjoyed this. I must say, just there was a goal kicker. There was a dark part of my soul that thought this was very 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 funny. Um, <laughs> Rugby league, yeah. Kicker. Really rugby, 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 league, rugby league hasn't given me anything, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Thanks very much, Mel. <laughs> um, yeah. So the blocker try is very nice, as we said, an inside ball from Peter Wynn after a lot of pressure. It should be said, um, mm. they, they were really, they really did come back hard by this stage with twenty five to go. They get back to twenty all. Mark Elliott finally comes on after this, um, mm. just after this, but showtime. Uh, it is. That's right. Finally, do you reckon there was a bit of um? Do you reckon there was a bit of uh, a precursor to the Nathan Brown origin trainer era of the Walkers on? Oh, I reckon there would have the been. Walkers on Walkers. There would have been a lot based on the Kiwi. A lot of Ellie is on just around the ground. Everywhere he's on. I think that's did you right. Tell him, did you tell him Ellie is on? Yeah, yeah. They got the message. It, it's true. Um, I think that's probably what happened. Uh, we should talk about uh, Sorensen absolutely poleaxing Mark Murray with a late high shot around the head, which is the reason they get that second penalty kick, which Meninga misses. Yeah, that's a absolute uh, 
Jesus, like he just murders him. That's a coat hanger. Yeah. Um, absolute stiff arm coat hanger. Um, I was going to watch Torrington. Um, his, his kid plays for Cronulla now. Um, he's a good player. Um, this one's Scott and no, this is Kurt and Scott this plays is now, Kurt. isn't it? Yeah, yeah Scott Kurt and Scott plays now. Yeah, he's a good he's a good player. I like him now. Um, he's like he, he doesn't get much of a game for him, but he's a good hard player. And I was keen to watch his dad go around because I'd heard he was a good player, and he has a mm. good game. He's a yeah, he's another one where he has this hard. He run, makes these tough runs out wide in the first half, like really nice runs, and I kept thinking he looks good. And then in the second half, the Kiwi commentators go, "Yeah, oh, Sorison, he hasn't had a good game today." And I really <laughs> like shit yeah. on him as well. I thought he was pretty good, but. Um, yeah, he, he murders Mark Murray. And there's one other moment I wanted to talk to you about that comes just before that. Oh, yes. at the scrum. So uh, Dean Bell's down with a broken nose in backfield, which I presume is some sort of retaliation for scoring a good try. I reckon someone's yep. got him probably. And in the scrum, some, someone goes down in the scrum. I think it's the lock forward whose name's escaping me, but he had a Oh, game. it is. Yeah, it's McGain. Um, yeah. McGain, yeah. yeah he had so they've got game. two down at the same time. Yeah. Yep. So he's in the scrum and he's on the ground for quite a while, grabbing at a knee and it looks like his ribs. So the common, uh, the uh, trainer comes out, right, with a giant bag of ice, like a garbage bag. Um, so it, he comes out and it's like, I assume it's ice. I don't know what else would be in it. I, I'd love to hear if it wasn't. But it's this really big, thick, like proper old school garbage bag with a noose tied around the top. And he's just sitting there on the ground in pain and they just hold it on his knee for about 30 seconds. Which, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's my knowledge of met. Well, my knowledge of um, these sorts of things is very limited, but I just think that if it was going to help, it needed to be for quite a significant longer period than that. And yeah. like, he, he just sits there. Yeah, but you've got to think about that. it. You've got to, you've got to remember how much ice that is. You got, you're yeah, thinking, well, it's a garbage bag full too. You're thinking about how long you'd put an ice pack on, which is like yeah. yay big. You're, you've, got to, you've got to factor in there's more ice, so it takes less time. True. They've got to start selling this stuff for more than a dollar a bag. So, but it's, um, it's, it's got the um, dead set, got the like tied around the top and the trainer comes on. They haven't diagnosed him. They haven't asked him what's wrong without asking. Yeah. Like it could be anything that's not nah. related to needing ice. ice and they bag. just hold it on. He's also grabbing his ribs really <laughs> quite hard. And they're just jamming this like gar- full garbage bag on his name. That's sports science we want to see. I want to see more Absolutely. magic spray. Oh, one I love thing the I forgot spray. in our Newtown yeah. game, in our Newtown game, Gus goes down with a really bad ankle and cops the magic spray. Like they just <laughs> spray him with something and then runs up and gets back up and goes. Like he looked, I thought he'd broken his leg. He was on the ground, <laughs> not moving and like, and, and down for ages and they sprayed him and he jogs on. And then in this game, this guy's in agony on the ground. They get the, one of the guys is actually checking on him, like going, is he all right? So when the players get involved, you usually think he's busted. But then the garbage no. bag gets on and he's up again. So I, I think I'd like to see both of those things brought back to the oh, game. Mate, I, I never tire of the magic spray. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and, no. yeah, the garbage bag full of ice. I think that would really get yeah. people back in. Um, I'm going to get the screenshot of that. We'll see if we yeah, can get please that up. Do. We'll chuck that up. If anyone can say it's not ice, I'd love to know. I'm, I'm, I'm making the assumption yeah. that it was ice. I just can't think of what else would be I in think- the bag. I think just bin bags generally. <laughs> I'd like to see yeah. more bin bags generally yeah. in rugby league. Now, uh, we we come to the kind of the end of this game and the, and really the way that it was decided. We talked about these kicks that Wally Lewis puts in. Mm. Um, he bangs them into the corners. The second one is the one I want to focus on. He bangs a kick down in the corner. New Zealand appear. It's a terrible call because as far as I could see, New Zealand actually force it into touch, um, mm. trying to keep it in. But in any event, they end up, New Zealand end up with the ball and Australia strike in the play the ball. It's on a line in front of the post. One of the Australian players strikes in the play the ball, gets it back. There's a hint of a knock on. 
they pack the scrum and give New Zealand the feed, right? Mm. It's an ugly kind of scrum, but there's been a few of those. All of a sudden, uh, Julien Rascaniera calls out both hookers, calls out Canescu and, and Howie Tamati, and just bins them for five minutes on spec. Mm. Both who I've never seen that before. Well, I don't understand what, what it was for. And what it's, was um, it supposed to achieve? We've talked about it before with rugby union, how one of the flaws in the game is that this stuff that people watching can't understand. Like you don't understand why the ruck penalty was given or why the scrum penalty was given or why that one got reset and why that was a penalty mm. and how the further we got away from that, the better. Like the fact is you should be able to understand what's happening. How would anyone understand what that was for? It didn't look any different to any other scrum that happened in the game and they just bin the hookers. Like there was nothing different for five minutes too, which is very good. But uh, it, I love yearly calls to bring back the five, five minutes, minutes in, by the way. It's they yeah. noted. I've got a friend um, who's really a, a bloke I know who is kind of now in his sixties. He's very, very scathing of the five minute sin bin as a question. No, 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 never bring it back. No, no, absolutely not. It was a circus. Nobody knew what the rules were. They applied it totally differently every week. Never bring it back. It's really kind of <laughs> if I ever want to really set him off, I say, What do you think of the five minute sin bin? Um, yeah, but the, the, I don't understand what the goal is of just binning both the hookers. It doesn't, it's to nobody's advantage. Just, it's who not did gonna, something wrong? And it's not going to make the scrum any better. But, but in rugby league, someone does something wrong and you penalise them. Like that's yeah. what Like if you get in a fight, you might bin both people. But like but it in wasn't a game, a fight, yeah. a high ta- no, you get a high tackle, right? High tackle. That person yep. did it. You send him off. Someone, even the incorrect feeds, if you penalise the halfback, I get it. You penalise the person who does something wrong. Like what happened in that scrum Technically, that involved both teams infringing. But like, do you know what I mean? Like, how does that happen? I don't. I don't get how you penalise both the hookers for the same play. Neither do I, Gazzy. But I tell you what, else I don't understand is that having done that, he then gives Australia the feed. Yeah. So they had the feed. Both teams did something wrong in the scrum and did something technically wrong. New Zealand had the foul. New Zealand had the feed. Yeah. Both hookers are binned, presumably because of bad hookering. And somehow Australia end up with the feed. Is that a technical term? Bad Both hookering. Off bad hookering. Bad yeah. hookering, I assume so, yeah. yeah. Well, I but, tried to pin Michael Leitcher for that for five years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, and the thing about this is that Desi Hill then says, Tamar, Kevin Tarmody's a very good hooker for New Zealand. I don't know how good the Australian one is. He's talking about the fact that the, yep. the, the, the prop is going to be doing the hooking. Someone has and he's to go. very mm. confident that he'll be able to he'll be up to it, but not sure that whether the Australians are. The trouble with this, of course, is that then Australia score from this. They, they, yep. they get that they score from this set as a result of that scrum. They spread the ball out wide. Lewis throws a lovely wide ball to Pierce. He throws a great ball to Rebo. Uh, he he's got plenty of space and goes it's like a modern score. fullback that pass wasn't it like that's the play oh, they yeah. run now where the fullback gets it and does that with guys coming up does the really quick hands long ball to the winger under pressure like that play yeah. that we get now where he gets it too wide or out the back and the guy just with beautiful hands you know your top fullbacks ice that play and this is a lock full like a tough lock forward that's played 70 minutes in the middle of a game or 65 minutes in the middle so far against one of the you know, a big mean pack. It's pretty incredible skill. Yeah, it is. Um, it, you can sort of watch that and understand how his son might have become a very good halfback. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. So it seems funny that this guy's, you know, got kid become, was a halfback, but like, you know, seeing some of the things he actually did in this game, you can understand how at the size they are and when the game got bigger, how his sort of progeny might end up being a halfback. Yeah. Very skillful player. Mm. No, he was. He had more to his game than kind of bashing and barging and, and being tough yep. for sure. Uh, Mal's 
or sacks himself as goal kicker at this point. Mm. Uh, and, and Des Hill says, well, there's no chance of Rebo kicking this. Wingers never kick, never convert their own tries because it's just too much. <laughs> there's, there's too much energy. There's too much effort involved in scoring in the corner. That that they, they, you very rarely see the kick, the, the the winger convert his own try. And of course, it's a Rebo wonderful bit of superstition again. It's after the, um, yeah. the Graham incident, yeah. And then Rebo kind of kicks, just sort of sinks it from the sideline. It might be a like, suggestion they might have got rid of Mal earlier because Mal got one from four or five, I think. and um, Two yeah. from six, thanks very much, Two from Mal. six, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's just drained that. Yeah, he just rebuked kick it beautifully. 26-20, thanks very much. Um, Properly too. It looked around the yeah. corner a bit. It didn't look like a toe poke. No, he hit it nicely, yeah. Um, and that's, those are the last points of the game. There's plenty of incidents in the last couple of minutes, though. Gary mm. Jack knocks on from the kickoff and they don't call it. Yeah, he does. And then... Uh, and then there is a kick bundled into touch by, and it's called for an Australian scrum. They just don't, they don't acknowledge that Australia touched it. Um, there's a couple of terrible calls at the end of this game um, that go against New Zealand when they could have made a run at it late. I'm not suggesting they would have scored, but they would have had a chance on their line. They also would have had a chance on their line if they'd found touch with the kick off a penalty. They did it twice in the game. They missed, missed touch. Um, yeah, I live for missing touch. It's one of my favourite things in a game. Now, now that I've been denied kicking duels and often mouse traps and all this stuff won't happen, one mm. thing I do really get up for is when teams miss touch. It's yeah. just something that I, I just like professional players. You know what I mean? Like watching professional people who do it for a living, they get paid a lot more than I do and are very good at what they do. Missing touch really gets mm. me going. <laughs> so it's just a lot of self-satisfaction in that. Do you feel the same way about Oh, that? absolutely. Because it's just odd. And it's one of those, it's yeah. like, yeah. It's, it's so much space to aim at. Yeah, you and just literally have to because yeah. you don't have to land it. You just have to kick it over this no. line from any yeah. angle. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, I, yeah. I didn't mention it earlier, but Australia also do a kick backwards, which I love mm. because it's one of those things that would be very hard to explain to kind of anyone, but particularly anyone who hasn't watched football before. Why? Why are they kicking it away from the line they're trying to score on? Um, mm. Yeah, that, and then of course with two minutes left or barely, I think only a minute left. Um, I suspect there was something already going on with Dowling and, and Tamati because uh, Tamati had, I don't know if you noticed this, he comes absolutely supermaning through over the top of Dowling about a minute before the fight breaks out, like mm. just flies over the top, like much in the manner of Adam McDougall and Wendell Saylor. Remember that moment that when Dell was on the ground and Mad Dog comes over the top, it was like that. Very stupid um, question to ask if I remember that. Should, but yeah. <laughs> that, was more, that was more of a rhetorical question for people at home. Um, the brawl takes a long time for the camera to actually pick it up. We don't see a lot of the fight between mm. Dowling and Tarmody because the, the kind of the commentators are saying that apparently that they're throwing a lot of punches, but you don't mm. see it until right at the end when it's this all-in yeah. kind of thing. Uh, and then, of course, it's like you see Blocker. Yeah, you see Blocker throws that. Throws Jesus, a they, beauty. They, yeah, they cut to it. They cut to it. And someone's holding on to, I think, Tarmody or two people are holding on to him and Blocker's yeah. like, I'm on here and throws an absolute Whack. bell ringer. Oh, yeah, yeah, he does too. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. pick Blocker. No, I wouldn't I pick don't... Blocker, i got to Jesus. say. Jesus, shape, Jesus. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so the, the referee, the great, another great thing is that when the referee bins them, there's a lot of speculation about whether it's a five or ten minute sin bin. Yeah. There's 50 seconds to go in the match. <laughs> That's so good. Well, we got this. That's you're right. Like that's very funny. But I was just going to make the point that this confusion. It's, there's so much 
there was no professionalism. We got this in the Newtown game where we couldn't tell if anyone had been sent off sin binned or otherwise. Like no. the moose would have been just going, well, can you find out at this point? Yeah. Like, where's what's happening? <laughs> but it, not, not only can you not tell, you can't tell who's, you can work out that Tarmody got binned. You can't see if an Australian was being binned or who it was because they don't pander the referee saying it and he doesn't really call him over. He, sends him from a distance and you yeah. never work it out until you actually two guys start walking blocker and um dowling start walking in the same direction and, you think as like and you're like oh so i wonder if one of them got sent and you have to wait to see who goes off yeah. to work it out and it's it's really confusing they never make clear what's happened so you don't know it's very funny there's not long left anyway but you don't see whether it's five or ten minutes you don't see who's been binned or otherwise it's really had it, and there's no clock is another one that you had no, to follow any of this. No, yeah. bad. Um, yeah. That's right. You don't know how long they've been off for it yet. Um, they, they get sent off at the same time, which is daft. And they don't do that anymore for this reason, right? Like they kind of, they deliberately yeah. bin one and then bin the other. This is before rugby league, of course, had only been played for 80 years at this point. Nobody had been able to work this out that you shouldn't, you shouldn't have two blokes who've just got in a fight, walk off the ground together. Um, but that's exactly what happens. And everybody knows what happens next breaks out into an enormous blue and again you don't they cut away from it quite quickly presumably mm. to protect the delicate eyes of the people watching at home uh mm. but uh in later years and, and it took kevin tamati uh a long time to to comment on this he didn't he didn't reveal until 2008 uh, that he'd been the subject of some terrible uh, uh racial abuse from from greg dowling um so as far as i'm concerned i say i say good luck kevin tamati punch his head in you know, yeah, well, yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? Like, it's very hard to um, to to say much about it. Like, at the end of the day, the comments that he's saying were said to him. Um, it, it, you know, it's an unsavoury incident. They're fighting over the sideline, and if we take that out of it, I think you're entitled to be pretty harsh on both of them. Um, and sure. when you add in what was what was said to him, I think that just takes it to a situation where. Um, it's pretty excusable that he did what he did, especially in the heat of that moment. And there's a lot of background to this, you know, like there's guys like Olsen and some of them over here copying that all the time, playing in Sydney and not getting a go. They're playing an Australian team that had bullied them a lot. And yeah. by all accounts, that not by every player in that team at all, um, but by some players in and around that team and other Australian teams, they'd copped a lot of that. And they were here trying to stand up for themselves as a team and in a broader societal sense. And, in that timing and situation, it's very hard to be critical of him for, for having that boil over or, or to accept that he no. should just have to take that. Like he shouldn't really have to, to cop that. And I, I'd really, for what would otherwise be a very unsavory incident, I just don't hold any, I, I think no. that you're entitled to say fair play to whack the guy's head in, to be honest with you. I him. mean, fighting doesn't, fighting in football doesn't really bother me in the first place, but mm. when it's over something, I just, you know, he lands a couple of good ones on him too, which was good to see. Um, yeah, he gets him a couple of times. He shouldn't have to just take that. That's the reality no, is he shouldn't no, have to take things like that being said. And, no. you know, we're not going to go on about it forever because he very much didn't want that to be the story of the game no. and the series. And we're not going to make it that. And I'd just like to say he handled it incredibly graciously when he did come out because he made the point of saying that I actually don't think Dowling was a racist. I think he was saying comments in the heat of the moment and frustration. And to what are very appalling comments he's saying he just said, that's a very gracious and <laughs> forgiving, that, that is a very gracious and very forgiving comment for the it's person who's subjected to it to have to say. It's much you know more I mean? much more gracious or forgiving than I would be. <laughs> I can say well, that's that. right, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Like so, he, I think that the story there is just that he deserves a lot of credit. Firstly, mm. he stuck stuck up for himself at the time in the way he knew how to do, and in subsequent years, he's um, <clears throat> handled and responded to it in a very adult and very admirably decent way. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely right. And 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 that's it. You know, he he has said, and I think a lot of people, you know, it's pro- given all the good football that you see in this game, and all the things that mm. all the things that are great about this match. It, this this is the thing that is remembered, but it really, you know, it it, it shouldn't be. Um, uh, yeah, that's right. Shouldn't even be what's remembered about him because he was so no, good in the game. And that's right. Um, and and this series, for those who who don't know, and hope, you know, I imagine a lot of people have listened this long do know, this goes on to be a great series. Um, you know, I'll let you talk about what happened subsequently at the end, but this is one of the great test series. So it's not even just this game; it's the whole series that was wonderful and deserves yeah. to be remembered. Yeah, and and New Zealand have a bit of a bite in the last minute. They throw the ball around a bit. It's it's fairly comedy capers, the ball kind of zinging around, offloads, backwards, forwards. This is, of course, after they take the tap on halfway rather than attempt to kick for touch again, um, which I thought was very funny. Oh, they could <laughs> I didn't think they could do it, yeah. Yeah, like after the, after the previous one, I mean, they'd, kick, they'd miss twice. So like, no, 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 we'll just, we'll just tap and go. Easy to score from 50 metres out. Um, but they then, uh, so the, the, and the match finishes 26-20 to Australia. Uh, in the second game, very controversially, New Zealand led for most of the match. And there is a try to Rebo uh, right at the end of the game for, for Australia to win 10 Or swear blind was forward. Um, if, and it was. It was Julian Rascaniere again. So I'm prepared to believe it, can I say. He's a hopeless mm-hmm. referee. Uh, and then, of course, Australia uh, lose the third test 18-0 uh, to New Zealand in the, in the opening game of the 1988 World Cup. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, do you think the occasion got to them? I suspect that's right. No good in work, no good in tournaments. Yeah. Uh, July um, 25, first game of the yeah. World Cup. The second two tests, of course, were played in New Zealand. Um, and, and they would have been pretty charged in New Zealand um, I read. at that time. And um, again, um, you know, we're not, you know, we're sort of covering the game, so not here to try and steal too much stuff out of uh, the Big O's sort of book because that's all not been done by us. But I think the the author made a comment actually that in one of his interviews, and it's probably in the book, that something like 30 or 40% of males between 20 and 50 watched the second test yeah. like in New Zealand. It's something like of the, of the young to middle-aged population of Kiwi men, like yeah. half of them watched this test in a country where that's not the predominant uh, ball sport. We, we sport I, that, that, that's how much this um, sort of this series meant and how much the first game sparked interest over there. And, and I know... Olsen was a hero to a lot of people. I think Jonah Lomu's hero was Olsen Filipino and stuff like that. So he was yeah. a big deal and him having a good game um, and then going home to there. And he, he, there's a iconic him running over Wally in that game. I think Wally refused yeah. to shake his hand after this yeah. one. And he really fired up and ran over him in game two and gets, he got New Zealand man of the match in this one, but he gets the man of the match all over in the second one, even in a loss, I think. So it was, um, it must've been a really, and obviously the fight would have added to that as well. It must've been this really charged yeah. um environment going into the second game for yeah sure that's right yeah. they would have walked into an ambush a bit the australians i, I think, would have going thought, i think it would have been fairly tough yeah, yeah. And, and australia yeah and and, and philippine you're right wally apparently at the post-match presentation refused to shake mm. his hand um and and wouldn't nothing against you he wanted to meet him and kind of introduce himself and wally wouldn't yeah. talk to him and so they ended up it became this real feud and wally apparently they still don't talk at, at reunions and this kind of thing they they still don't um they they still don't want to talk to each other and wally in particular doesn't want to talk to him but very competitive you know uh, mm. competitive bloke i guess and yeah but uh it, that, that that's it and it, i i really enjoyed this game I, I i really liked watching it and there's a lot to it you know there's a lot of um as we said, there's a lot of players that it was good to watch 
in our case for the first time and there's all those little undercurrent factors of the, the kind of rise of Polynesian footballs. And I think you wanted to talk a bit about some of your favourites who've come on after this game and, and become really big parts of the what is now the National Rugby League. Yeah, well, look, I thought that might be a good way to finish this week. Because as I said, like, there's, there's a lot out there on Olsen Filipina now and his role as a sort of a trailblazer in this series and, and how it took off in New Zealand footy. So we're not here to sort of go over that and sort of take other people's research. We thought, what's a spin we can sort of do while that's in topical? And I thought so, some way to look at that legacy might just to be, we all know how many Polynesians and Maoris and everything there are in the competition now and people of that descent. So I just thought I would mention a couple of my favourite players that have come through and played over the last sort of 30 years that have been able to come through and do that because of guys like Olsen and this team Mm. and these guys and that that what that influence had these guys have now been able to do that and I have so many (laughs) Polynesian guys I have so many of some of my favorite players and the ones you really enjoy this they they, some of the the way they play the game some of those backs and stuff and some of the charging forwards oh it just so I thought I'd just run through a couple for you and if you'd like to jump in please do sure Um, what I mentioned first off is I'm going to mention John Schuster. So yes. For those who don't remember the shoe, the shoe was an All Black in the late 80s. He played at least 10, maybe 12 tests for the All Blacks, and they don't give those jerseys away. So that tells you what level of player he was. And he signed for the Knights um, probably about 1990, if it wasn't 1991. Um, he was a goal kicker, like an outstanding goal kicker and a centre mainly. Um, he could play a bit of fullback, but he played centre predominantly. Um, absolute crowd favourite at Newcastle. Um, you know, the, every game, just the crowd, the shoo, shoo, shoo down the sideline. He's, he's full of pace. He's one of the first really attacking players we had. We mm. signed Michael Hagen as a half in 89, as a 5'8", who was a rep level 5'8". But otherwise, the Knights had this real tough sort of Sam Stewart, Tony Butterfield, Mark Sargent sort of edge. And this was one of the first real attacking threats they had. Uh, nicest bloke you'll ever meet. Wonderful, fast player. Um, and, and look, he was, um, he was a real hero. I was about three or four when he was playing for the Knights and he was sort of my first real hero. I went to meet him a few times. He, yeah. um, I used to, I'm a right-handed at everything I do and I'm, um, my mum still swears blind that the reason I'm left-footed is that as a three-year-old, I would sit there like every day and just practice John Schuster's goal kicking routine <laughs> down to the point she said i used to get the water bottle take the sip throw it away so i'll be on the grass i'd take the sip hurl it away on the grass she's the style put yeah. the ball down three steps back back up to the ball deep breath three back two to the side bang it uh, i wasn't any good but but look he was my first real hero so i really wanted to put him out there it's just he's I'm very very fond of him um and the second one is cheating a bit i'm not going to name your player I'm going to name you a team. Yes. I'm going to name you the early 2000s New Zealand Warriors. And I'm going to yes. skip all some of them for you. These are one of my favourite teams of all time. Um, I, I'm going to leave the, gen, the little general and halfback for you to talk about in a moment and throw a few of them more that are probably less remembered, uh, probably very well remembered in New Zealand, but should be remembered very well everywhere else. And um, I just love that team. I loved they had an edge of Clinton Torpy and Francis Melly. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Oh, uh, dynamite. Fred, oh, Francis Melly hit like George Tafoa does now. He used to zero in and just just like Whack, end the lives of centers. Yeah, he'd miss sometimes too. They let some tries in, but he used to clobber <laughs> people. He was such a good player. And Clinton Torpy used to set him up for fun. You had this wonderful combination um, uh, down that side. Um, Ali Lartiti, wasn't he a player? Oh, yeah. Like no, that Sonny Bill type, he Sonny was, Bill I, sort of I had like him written one down. hand carry. Oh, when I think about that, carries, oh, yeah, and the offload, oh, he, he was fantastic. The, oh, he, he, he? Left, he, left for, he left the NRL far too soon. He went to England very early. Oh, 
He um, did, yeah. Yeah, but he was... Probably not long after the grand final they were in, actually. Yeah, he didn't, he, was much he didn't play many years. That, because, you, yeah, he, he, was a, he was a tremendous player. He, he was that real prototype one-hand carry, um, you know. Some of them even play centres now, those guys. Those really quick, powerful guys. You know, even guys like Wonga Blake, these, that one-hand yeah. carry they've got with pace. But he was, he was devastating in the back row with the basketball passes. Like, he'd run with it one-handed, barrel into you and over the top. Um, I was he very, played, very fond. He played 115 yeah. games for the Warriors, 90, 98 to 03. Right? Left after yeah. 200 games for Leeds and 94 games for Wakefield Trinity. So he ended up playing 409 first grade games and only a quarter of them were here. Yeah, I'll, I'll be watching the rest of them if we get time, <laughs> one by one. That's how I it lost, him. isn't it? I loved yeah. him. Um, Richard Villasanti uh, yeah, over there as well. I was yeah. very fond of. He was completely mad. Afida uh, <laughs> Paliasina. I'm not oh, going yeah. anywhere without mentioning Afida Paliasina in that team. Nobody, Nobody ever has ever has run, run the ball up. harder. <laughs> No, 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 no one ever. I mean, a bunch of foes tried to give him a run the last few years, but I feel it was completely insane. Like, yes. and he had the knees up too. Like, yep. it looked like he had yeah. his knees up. Oh, he was good. I the loved headgear. He used to go head first into the line. He was a lunatic. Yeah, he was fantastic. Yeah, he was. He was. Owen yeah. Guttenbeel, they had at yeah, that time. Yeah, he was I hard, Owen Guttenbeel. I reckon yeah, I've seen a... Owen Guttenbeel. You get him up in the, uh, up in the uh, coach's box with Steve Kearney from time to time. I've got to tell you, yeah. I reckon he's I, I still probably not. There's a couple of footballers who are just like they're in their forties now and still rock or late thirties yeah. and still yeah. rock hard. Kennedy and Ali Lawatiti. I'm not tackling yeah. either of them now. No. Nah. <laughs> or nah. in ten years' time. Yeah. Ruben Wiki <laughs> yeah. still goes all right. Um and what the other another another couple I was fond of in that team, Sion Falamayana. Falamayana mm-hmm. Yeah, he was came on. He, he he sparked out pretty badly. Um eventually he had, had his sort of troubles. But he, he was a he was that one handed carry guy as well. He used to play back row and then lock and then all of a sudden he was playing five. He was so skillful mm-hmm. he'd end up playing five eight and stuff. Um and Henry Farfili was another one in that team that I was extraordinarily fond of. With the um, <laughs> used to do the, he had the um, the dreadlocks and the cornrows, and he used to uh, like he scored tries and he used to do the discman, turn on the discman, yeah, and, uh, and put, put his earphones in and start rapping out to the discman after scoring tries. He did the bow and arrow try, scored, got the arrow out of his back, fake arrow, and twanged it in with an archery shot. For I loved him. Yeah, he was a good player. They were a wonderful I'm, side. I'm going to let you talk about the one that I've really obviously neglected from that team. Well, I, Stacey Jones, I, I just, you know, I'm not going to talk about Stacey's depth because I think we need to do a great one of their games from that era to, to look at how good they were. And, uh, but mm. I would just note 322 first, first top-level games, 238 for the Warriors, 45 uh, for Catalan and 23 for the, uh, for the Warriors in his second stint. Came back in 2009 at the age of 33 and was still good. Um, I my view is that Stacey Jones is as good a halfback, is pretty much as good a halfback as there was in the nineties and and two thousands. That he deserves to be uh, considered, if not as good as, that certainly in the kind of orbit of all of your best halfbacks that were of our lifetime. John's Stewart, Thurston. I, I, if he Langer, if he, all them. Yep, he's in that if, talk. Yep. If if Stacey Jones was on Friday Night Football with any kind of regularity, he would be remembered as one of the great players of, of our kind of time watching football. And well, it's if he only, played for Manly, he might be an immortal. Yeah, it, it's only Seriously. that he happened... Yeah, yeah, it's only that he happened to play uh, by the bulk of people who watch the NRL. They don't get seen that often, um, that he's not remembered for, for being as good as he was. He, he was... He was a marvel. Um, do you remember when he came? Um, do you remember when he came back? Yeah, and it was either in round one or two, and I remember it 
I remember it so vividly. I think it was against Manly. I remember the try very vividly, but I think it was against Manly. They got in a really tight game and he chip kicked for himself in the last <laughs> 10 minutes and set, up, right. and set up a try. Yeah, seriously, it was his first or second game back and he looked like really fat and old. <laughs> like, yeah, he was, like, his hair he was like, thinning out and that. Like he was yeah, quite, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and he was quite, he was very short and stumpy in the first place and he was thickening out of it. And yeah. it's just like, he got late in this game and he chip kicked for himself, regathered and either scored or set up this try to tie the game and they banged a field goal or something and won it. And it was like, Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Nah, he, was, he was sensational. He's back. He's back. He that great. try he scored in the grand final was one of the great losing grand – like, up there with the Blacklock try. Oh, it's one of the great grand finals. If, mm. if, someone, if, 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 if someone like Thurston did that, yeah, it would be replayed every year on grand final day yeah. ad infinitum for the next 100 years. Like, he, it was yeah. just against a very, very good team. You know, yeah. side that was outgunned. He just—it's—it's it's superb. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. Anyway, that I'm glad that we've—I'm glad that we've been able to ventilate some of our favourite, uh, some of our favourite Polynesian players um, of more recent times. And there are still—I mean, you know—we haven't even talked about Benji. Um, no. Which, you know, or Cooper Vuna. Or Cooper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love Cooper Vuna. <laughs> yeah. So look, look you, you and me both. But we have, we do, we, we do have a lot to be to, to be thankful to to Maori footballers for. And uh, if it wasn't for people like Olsen Filipino, we you know, um, it might have, but we might have had to wait a lot longer until we got to see all, all the things that they have brought to the game. Uh, Gazzy, any any final thoughts, or should we should we leave it there? Nope, got it. Loved it. Great game. Really, really enjoyed it. I'm always a bit hesitant with the older games because you're not sure what it's going to be like and you don't know too much about it. And I'm thrilled we watched it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you and I both. Thank you as always for joining us on the Rugby League Cemetery. Morgan Campbell and Luke Garrity signing off. Until next time. Nelson Filipino regains possession for the Kiwis. 